Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to another week of the Live Life Aggressively podcast with Mike Mahler and Sincere Hogan. And what's going on, brother? How you doing? Uh, I'm doing good, man. How you doing today? Feeling good, man, after a little mishap from yesterday. We'll talk about that later on the show for sure. Yeah, 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 uh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, but we have a great guest on this week, man. And this brother here has been putting in work in the fitness game for a while now. Been following his work probably since I probably was on like MySpace, <laughs> so I can take it back. <laughs> Which you know that's like the early '50s in in the world of you know social media. <laughs> so, so yeah, I want to welcome Sean Phillips to our show today. What's up, Sean? Not much. I'm doing great. Hey, uh, it's great to be on with you, Sincere and Mike too. I've been I've been looking forward to connecting with you guys. Awesome. Yeah, man. man. Likewise, man. It's a pleasure. And you know, Sean's the author of Strength for Life. And I've actually known about Sean since way before I even got on the Internet heavily, which was back in the 1990s when he was yeah. involved with EAS and Muscle Media Magazine. And, Sean, you were, you were always known for your legendary abs. In fact, I think you had so many people asking you questions about that. You, you put together an ab book. Is that correct? That's correct, man. The, uh, <laughs> that was it. That was the dialogue, the abs, man. How you get them abs? Yeah. <laughs> I, wrote, I, wrote, I wrote Absolution in 2001, which was a – a needed to do and kind of way to answer all the questions and also, you know, throw a dose of reality into this uh, mass sea of confusion. And then I heard in the last chapter, you say you recommended your plastic surgeon as the final. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I like, I like the, I, here's, here's a oddly funny one. I, one of my photos ended up on the good men projects, right? And it was, it was on an article talked about teaching kids about airbrush photography. Right. 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 And the, the poor doctor that wrote that one, I'm like, I mean, he's a really nice guy now. I made friends with him after I unloaded on him. But it's like, you know, all my photos are original film, undigital, unphotoshopped, right? Right. You know, now, I, I think people like to say stuff like that because it makes them feel better about themselves. Yeah, words, I was about to say oh, the exact same thing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's airbrushed. There's no way he achieved that naturally or he got surgery. You know, these, these or are common. Or he's all roided out or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Sincere and I always talk about this. You do something impressive at the gym or something like that. Someone will, there's always going to be someone inevitably who'll say, "Oh, well, you know, when I was your age, I could do that," or "Oh, wait till you're my age, you know, lifting like that." <laughs> or someone will be like, "Oh, I could do that too if I were on the juice." Yeah, wink, wink. You know, things like that. So I think, I think people always like to make excuses for themselves when they achieve, when they see other people achieving excellence. But people that want to be successful, I mean, they they want to know how people do stuff. They they're right. looking for inspiration. Yeah. So it's, I, it's, it's, it's an interesting – both sides of perspective, and it's a good, yeah. good perception. Yeah, there's always a rationalization, right? Right. <laughs> well, even, yeah. even with professional athletes, like, well, they all, they all use these anabolic this, that, and so forth. It's like, okay, well, even if that's true, which it likely is, that's not the only thing they do. Yeah. I can take all the anabolics and performance answers I want. I'm not going to be uh, – I'm not going to hit – 70 home runs if I do that. I'm not going yeah, to hit I'm not going to win 7-2 of the Francis by sitting on my butt, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got to get on a bike and ride. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's important to have these honest dialogues, but at the same time, it's like, come on, folks. I mean, these things give people an edge, but that's it. It's not making athletes where there aren't any. Well, and you also got the, the duplicity of whether it's Congress or just the average person sitting at home critiquing Lance Armstrong while they're popping their four or five medications they take every day. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's the other thing that's interesting is that the way performance enhancement is denigrated, yet at the same time, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's a good percentage of the population, U.S. population, is on medications. Yeah, they're taking a medication. As long as you're taking a medication for, the, 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 for survival, you know. Right. Then you're, it's a noble cause, you know. Well, why are you in survival mode? Because you ain't taking care of yourself. 
Right. Yeah, why is it okay for a guy to take Viagra who's got ED, yeah. and yeah. it's not okay for someone to <laughs> take Isn't that cheating? For, for, for <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, really, let's just be I mean, honest. Isn't that, that cheating guy, right there? Yeah, you're that. lying to the woman. You're lying to that woman. You're making that woman think that you have stamina. <laughs> Dude, you're yeah. lying. You don't have that's, stamina. That's, that's a scenario where someone's confessing. It's like, look, baby, i got to be honest with you. You know, all that excitement you've been getting the last several months, it's not for real. I've been taking these. He whips out a bottle of blue pills, and she's like, "No, I knew it was fake. Divorce." <laughs> or, or, or more likely, sweet, get some more of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, well, that's that's more likely what's gonna happen. She's like, "You know what? Fine, as long as it works, go ahead." <laughs> yeah, but it seems when it comes to professional athletes, or or really pretty much anyone in the public, it's, it's it's always like they have to be at a higher standard than everyone else. Yeah, because they're as long as you're not the public role guy, model. Yeah, as long as you're not in the public eye, you can do whatever you want. And that's acceptable. But if you're a professional athlete or, or a politician or a, any kind of performer, actor, et cetera, then this, like the standard is set much higher for you. Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult place, man. I mean, that, that, that standard, I mean, oh, in the old muscle media days, that was a lot of the heat, you know, Bill would write about. You know, everybody always had something to critique or some way to attack, you know. You know, I want, that's one thing I wanted to talk about because muscle media and EAS were really revolutionary at the time. I remember there really wasn't anything like muscle media. It was always bodybuilding coverage and things like that. There was always routines that were not were very disingenuous. No one was no one natural anyway was doing these routines. And half the time, the alleged routines that different professionals were using were written by ghostwriters. Yeah. But then muscle right. media came along and was like a voice of reason, had honest discussion about anabolics, steroids, et cetera, had honest discussion about what training programs are going to work for the average person. So, I mean, it was, it was really a magazine that was, that was quite revolutionary at the time. What was it like to be a part of that? Because I know your, your, your brother started the whole thing, but you played a big role in that as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we really all started it together. I mean, he was the face and figurehead and a lot of the driving yeah. catalyst, you know. I mean, a lot of things you give Bill credit for are the one, uh, you know, like I like to say, we were too dumb to know that we couldn't start a magazine, so we started one. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, now that I'm older and know better, it's much harder to do things. <laughs> so I, think, I think there's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of truth to that, though. I think sometimes people... The, like Schwarzenegger has a line, the more you know, the less likely you are to do anything. Yeah, yeah. If, if you look at every fa- – and that's so true because now that I've, I've gotten into marketing some supplements myself under my label, and, and initially I was like, oh, that sounds like a great idea. And then once I started doing it, I was like, wow, this is a real process here. And yeah. my, my testosterone booster, for example, took years to finally get it right and put it out there. So I was like, yeah. wow, if you're not really committed to this, you're not going to do it. But at the same time, if I knew we were going to be this much work, I don't know if I would have gotten started a couple of years ago. So I think there's a lot of truth to that. Oh, it's a ton of truth to that. I mean, it all. And then maintaining your, your consistency and commitment to quality, right. doing all this stuff. I mean, it's, it's, it's a chore. I mean, nobody, I constantly talk about that, that need. Um, and I digress a little bit. I'll get back to the muscle media story. But, sure. you know, like when I build my full-strength nutrition shake right now, I mean, the amount, I mean, I send three people on site. I order all my own raws. It takes me three or four days to, to qualitatively produce it. We try to improve it every single time. We manage every step of the process. And right. nobody does that. Nobody does it. You know, the, you know, the facilities we use, people come to expect us and understand that we're nuts. But, you know, everybody else does a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. Right. You know? Right. And, it's just it's just how you have you chosen to do things, you know? Are you are you are you are you boxing wine, you know, with liquor in it, or are you making a fine vintage of you know Cabernet, right? Yeah. They're different processes. Right. There's a big difference between 
between St. Ives malt liquor <laughs> oh, it's something that's really high quality. <laughs> is that even still around? Still like boys in the hood. That, that brought that, that took that took the tear back. He's like, did he just say St. Ives? I'm like, what is this? Like, did you just watch Boys in the Hood last night on cable? <laughs> uh, that's funny. St. Ives and malt, Mickey's malt liquor. Mickey. Yeah, Mickey, Big Mouth, baby. <laughs> yeah, you can't with us. No, but what was what was the driving force behind starting Muscle Media? What was what really got you? What was what was the reason why you guys got together? And started? I think that really is it, it's just what you got into, which was yeah. the disgust with the existence of what was going on out there. I mean, you had to do something that was cutting edge and counterculture, and as you describe it, honest, truthful. I mean, how revolutionary is that, right? Telling the freaking truth. Yeah. Right. You know, and and just. The ability to talk and write and, and create a dialogue that wasn't someone else's dialogue. I mean, buying an ad in muscle media didn't get you anywhere, really. You know, right. get you an ad. But, you, but you, you know, as long as, like, you know, muscle media, muscle and fitness, I mean, buying an ad muscle fitness got you nowhere. The, uh, I mean, I can't tell you the number of times in the last, you know, I've been offered to write for muscle and fitness magazine over the last eight or nine years. And every time I would go, okay, I'd be interested in it. All they would do is assign me to be another one of the problems. I said, well, why would I want to be part of the problem? Right. If right. I can't do something that cuts through the bullshit, why do anything? You know? I, I mean, I agree with that completely. And, yeah. and now with the internet, you don't really have to be a part of any of that stuff, which is the good news. You can get, you can build your business and get it out there, and you don't have to have support of mainline fitness media anymore. But it's still interesting to me that people buy into all that because people will will have the attitude that you just mentioned, and then at some point in their career, they'll say, "Well, I need to start making some real money here." I'm just going to sell out a little bit, start writing yeah. some garbage, and then that becomes a full-blown sellout because you never right. just sell out a little bit, right? That's just yeah. the first step. <laughs> yeah. That's and a great line. That's a great line, though. I'm just going to sell out a little bit. Yeah. But I, mean, I think that's how people start their buy. They, they just start rationalizing stuff like, well, I know this is a bunch of bullshit that I'm writing, but it's, maybe, maybe someone will benefit from it somehow. You know, yeah, just get it out there. Like I, I've had coaches tell me, like, look, you know, I don't care about writing about how to build bigger arms, but that's what people want. So that's what that's what I'm going to write about and give it to them. And I understand that line of thinking, but I mean, how how good is it going to be with that level of or that lack of passion? Rather, like, why don't you pick, pick something that you're actually interested in? And there's going to yeah. be other people that are interested in it in it as well. But I think people have this kind of scarcity mindset of they don't want to be the first one to try something. They don't want to be the trailblazer. And they don't want to. They don't want to take the flack if they put their head out there with a, a certain idea that's not supported by other people. So I think that's where a lot of people get stuck with that. But that's what I really liked about Muscle Media back then is that there really wasn't anything like that. Well, and I remember. That's... I remember it started off as a newsletter before that. I think I was a subscriber to that. What, what was the name of the newsletter, Sean? Before the natural, Muscle... the, the natural supplement um, newsletter. It was the right, um, right. Yeah, the natural supplement newsletter. So it's the natural supplement review, the natural supplement newsletter. There, you know. There were a few doing stuff like that then. like my friend brooks kubik had the dinosaur yeah. files which was just a newsletter that he put together in his basement and this is this predates the internet or, or the internet was around of course but it wasn't used like it is now so people yeah. were still doing things like this and it was something that you paid it, it wasn't cheap i mean you paid 30 40 dollars a month for it but the information was great no pictures no advertisements nothing people like dan john writing articles i mean it was it was good material yeah i remember I I mean, I started finding stuff like that, and, and Muscle Media was like that, too, as you mentioned before the, the magazine came out on the newsstand. It, it was just good material, and I think there was an audience of people that were hungry for that. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of hunger out there now still, oddly, sure. right? Right. You know? you know, and I mean, it's 
I've been in that model for a few years. I've been fascinated with the old school newsletter because I believe that there's just something pure and authentic about it, and it's about getting information out. And as a prolific writer as I am, I just keep going, why don't I just do a monthly newsletter that's just just a conversation about the shit that really matters, you know? Right, right. You know, and it's like, you know, that's what I started the Kryptonite Report ultimately for a print newsletter because I wanted to do something, you know, you know, Kryptonite Report's all about keeping you strong in a world that's trying to rob you of your strength, energy, and vitality. And if that ain't what right. we live in, I don't know what is. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit because that's yeah. an interesting topic right there. But, and I've heard you talk about that before on Superhuman Radio. What, what, are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Because what do, you, what do you think the state, the mindset is right now? Well, it depends on where, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a big-ass mindset. I think, you know, I mean, from the broadest possible position, I mean, I think my biggest platform is that, the, the, you know, I like to say to people, the strength begins with you. And I th- when I say the strength begins with you is I think so many people are sitting around going, you know, I'll get healthy and fit when the country gets healthy and fit and when everything else corrects itself. And the reality is uh, the, the strength of our country and the strength of your community and the strength of your family is dependent upon the strength of you. Right. You, until you get up and move, until you take – uh, full control of your responsibilities, physically, mentally, spiritually, you're, you're screwing everybody around you and bringing everybody else down. So, you right. know, like, you know, the, I, I, I call it this way, the strength, you know, strength begins with you, you know, for a stronger you, you get a stronger us and a stronger USA to get a little, um, you know, pound the drums a little bit, but you know, you, USA and us, you know, so it all, it's, it's an inside out job. Is what really, I really wholly believe that. But I think right now we're, you know, we are run by, um, I mean, I think right now we're a massively addicted society run by external stimuli. Very few people are internally animated or guiding themselves. We're stimulated by television, by caffeine, by PDAs, phones, um, by the news media, who every time it rains, they announce it as if it's a murder on your street block. <laughs> yeah. You know, and everybody's yeah. in this alarm. I mean, it's the funniest thing. Have you ever turn the news on the TV and turn the sound off and just watch their facial expressions. You just scared the hell out of you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did one better. I got rid of TV a couple of years ago. So yeah. I don't have cable or anything like that because uh, I, mean, I, I wasn't a big TV watcher when I had it. And that's one, one of the main reasons why I got rid of it. But I didn't like being infiltrated with nonsense, yeah. commercials right. and, and over the top news and things like that. So there was no reason for me to have it. And I don't miss it one bit. I always tell people, I go, if you get rid of TV, you're not going to miss it. You'll find better things to do. That's what's yeah. going to happen. You'll, you'll be sitting there going, okay, I finished all my work, and I want to go do something fun. And if you have a TV, you're going to turn that on and just start flipping around. If you don't have that, you're going to find something more productive to do. You're actually going to call some friends up. You're going to go out there and have a real-world interaction. And I think, I think what's happening is correct, what you're saying, is we've become, this, uh, we've become addicted to stimuli. We're these stimulus addicts. Yeah. But but at the same time, we have we're, we're trading in virtual experiences and not having as much real world experience. So in other words, people's virtual lives, the, the lives they have on Facebook, Twitter, on the internet, is better to them than their real life, so that they yeah. want to spend more time on that virtual life. It's like one big step in the direction of the matrix, and it's only going to get worse than that. Soon you'll have these these virtual experiences that are more lifelike. And I, I think at that point, it's going to start becoming really scary. It's going to be a bunch of people with headsets on who never leave their home. And they'll yeah. have these avatars of what they would like to look like. They'll be sitting in a chair with like a feed tube going into their mouth and just be yeah. online all day long. And yeah. people kind of laugh when they hear this stuff. But I mean, not, people are not that far from it now. Oh, no, I mean, like, right Sir and I always talk about that. this. 
Yeah, we talk about how people, like the discrepancy between their Facebook personality and their real world personality is often immense. Like sometimes you'll meet some people and go, man, that's that person? Completely <laughs> different personality on Facebook. So, I mean, it's, 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 it's as if people's real world experiences are so lame, and that's their fault. They're not taking charge of that, but that they've, they've picked a cop out, which is just online. Now you have this online life, which you find more satisfying, so you want to spend more time there. Well, and there's less consequences. I mean, the, the difficulty thing about real-world relationships is it comes with risk, inherent risk, and consequences. And the consequences right. usually mean that you have, to, you have to deal with your responses. You have to deal with people. You have to have some ability to emotionally regulate yourself. And we, some people have lost that. They've freaking flat lost it. Yeah. I think yeah, the other thing about is that, that we ought to talk about yeah. – when you post something online or something, is this something that you would actually say in that person's face? So right, anytime exactly. you post anything, always think about that. Like, is this something that I would actually tell this person if I were to meet them face-to-face? I think that's a good mantra to have right there. And yeah. they'll help calm down a lot of these keyboard warriors <laughs> out there and all yeah. these anonymous, you know, superheroes exactly. <laughs> or yeah. supervillains that are on the Internet and everything, man. And it's not always that – It's not whenever people hear something like that, oh, would you say this to this person's face, they're always thinking of a combative situation. Yeah. But, but that's not necessarily the case. It's that, in other words, would you be this rude to someone when they're right in front of you? Yeah. And you can see the effect it has on someone. Like would you be this hurtful to someone if they were right there? So it has, it has many different contexts. But the, the one we always think of is when someone's just being a total douche. We're like, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you. If you saw me walking around, this is what you would come say to me. I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the YouTube yeah. University type comments and and that kind of stuff. So I mean, yeah. But but I, but I think that's also what's happening as well is that, like what you're saying, there's consequences of acting in the real world, and that there are online as well, but they're much less. But I also think that what's happening is people are trying to turn their Facebook page, for example, into their own reality TV channel where it's all, look at me, look at me. You know, here's me eating cake. Here's me at the beach. Here's me on vacation. Here's me where, <laughs> on a date. Here's me at a concert. So like, look at me, look at me. I think we're becoming this kind of look at me, look at me society. And that's very disconcerting as well because it's, I mean, what about striving for greatness for the sake of just doing it, regardless yeah. of whether you get accolades or anything like that? Well, yeah, and it's it's an internally driven with an internal compass with with a self-reflected reality. I mean, it's this this external other reflected reality. I mean, it is it is a trend toward the narcissism, and, and, and less less a classic narcissism than than an absence of our own reflective value. You right. know, which, which which again brings us back to something we're all deeply vested in, which is the importance of the physical domain. Because where the hell else can you build more confidence, do more for yourself than working through your body? regulating what you put in your body, how you move your body, what you do with yourself. I mean, there is such fertile ground for change and transformation through this vehicle. Right. right. I agree with you. I, th- I think sometimes it becomes a negative as well, and it goes back to what you said about stimulus addiction where people are not confident and they start training and then they get pretty good at, at training. They get the results they want, and now all of a sudden that's the only domain where they feel confident. So they want to yep. spend as much time in the gym. They want to spend as much time working out. I mean, people that are really addicted to training, tell them to take a week off, even if it's the best thing for them. You know, you're yeah. in this overtrained state. You're burned out. Take a week off. Or just take a week off just for the hell of it. Watch what happens. And they're like, no, no, I can't do that because this, that, so forth. They'll, they'll start rationalizing everything. And, and that, to me, is a big addiction. I mean, sometimes the best thing you can do as a hard-training athlete is take a week off. And yeah. you'll be shocked 
with how much, especially people that are sleep deprived and not balancing restoration and so forth. But, but when people, sometimes people, when people get good at something, all of a sudden that starts blocking their growth because yeah, now well, that's it, become it, what they want to be. They just want to be in that space all the time. Yeah, they're yeah, fully invested in that. Yeah, go ahead, Sincere. Yeah, no, it goes back to what Sean was just saying that, you know, here we have this physical body right here, and it's like the perfect vehicle for this. But right. being that it is a vehicle, though, I mean, a car can look really, really great on the outside and have a crappy engine. So this comes down yeah. to also you've got to make sure you have a fine-tuned engine to get that, that vehicle going, which it starts with that mindset, first of all. And right. So you have these people who get so addicted to training, and, and then now that's become their crutch instead of becoming their strength because in their mind they feel like, hey, I'm getting good at this. Here's something I'm finally great at. And they, don't, they think that this is all that, all that they are. It's all about training. They don't have anything else to contribute to the world or to themselves or to their friends or to their life in general. So they really need to take a hard assessment like, okay, this is great. You, you started training. You're starting to make these changes with your body, but you understand that it didn't start with your body. It started with your mindset. And guess what? You, the same process that you put together to start transforming your body you can also do that in other aspects like your business, your relationships, your friendship, right. your, you know, with your family life. So you can use that same process right there because obviously you focused on it. You didn't do something on the side. It wasn't like, okay, I'm just going to work out a little bit today, and then today I'm just gonna, the rest of the day I'm going to watch TV because otherwise, right. you know, there wouldn't be any major changes going on. So obviously you put a lot of your time and energy into transforming your body. So guess what? It's no different than doing that with anything that really, really matters to you out there. So right. And there's more to it than just training. You know, and I think it kind of shocks people to hear that, you know, we would say something like that on a show like this. Like, it's not just about training. It's so much more to life than just training and getting stronger with your body. So Right, and that was, that was kind of the premise of the whole show, too, is that exactly. when Sincere and I decided to start this show, we didn't, want it, we didn't want it to just be just talking about training every single episode. And, I mean, that, that's something that's definitely going to be an underlying theme throughout the show with different guests. But we wanted to basically show how you can take the confidence and other skills you've developed from taking your physical training to a high level and carry that over into other areas of your life and start improving everything. Yep. And yeah. that's what I like. And that, that's definitely something I see in your work, Sean, and your book, Strength for Life, gets into that quite a bit as well. What was, what, what's been the reaction to Strength for Life and what was your motivation for putting that book out there? Well, I mean, motivation, really. I mean, the, the, the book started as more of a um, – I, I kind of codenamed it a man's guide to life in the second half, right? Right. Yeah, I started looking at what are all the parts, you know, you turn 40, you get in what is, you know, technically the second half of life, and it's like how do you approach your fitness and your wholeness and completeness? Now, you know, I have a lot of, of Eastern training, as you guys do. I'm a very much, you know, meditator. I'm a consciousness coach. I do a lot of work with the Ken Wilber's Integral Institute. So I have a lot of crossover integration into things, body, mind, spiritual stuff. So I was really kind of bringing that full dimension into it. Now, I got talked into by Random House into making it more of a, of a generalized or wider book. I don't know if that's right or wrong. but So, you know, I think for me the challenge became how do I embrace what worked in Body for Life because all these Body for Lifers are going to come forward. They need to come forward. They need to evolve to the next thing. I mean, what I love most when you, you talk to somebody, they go, hey, man, I've been doing Body for Life for 10 years. And I say, no, you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> you've been you've been doing some modified version, some muted modified version of Body for Life that you've made seem like it's Body for Life. You know, I mean, Body for Life is an intensive training boot camp of sorts that if you did for 13 weeks would turn you into a pile of dust. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
<laughs> you know, so what are the philosophies that we work and we keep with us? So I had to ingrain that. And then what's the next dimension, the next step? And how do I bring it back into a wholeness? I mean, one of the things you talk about is walking away. And one of the things in the book I have, I have a lot of mindfulness exercises. And, you know, one of those is you can't have your cake and eat it until you can have your cake and not eat it too, right? And I, <laughs> right, right. I teach people how to become aware of what really is a craving, what really is a desire. And then they actually go through a process of not eating a cake for five days or their favorite dessert and then eating it and documenting what is the experience. Right. And it's a really interesting experience. If you give someone their favorite dessert and you let them think about why they want it so much for five days and journal about it, or three days really, and then on the fourth day they eat it, and they eat it one bite at a time, most people get the three or four bites and are all completely overly satisfied and it's too rich exactly. for them. I'm a big believer in that, man. Big yeah, yeah. But they've been unconscious. And the same thing stands for your workout. If you can't take seven days away, then you're not training healthily and bound and holy. You're actually acting addictively. If you can't walk away, then it owns your ass. Yeah. Right. I think it gets to the point where they just need to realize a lot of times when they're addicted to these things, they're afraid that someone's going to take it away. Yeah. So you, what you have is people going into the gym and want to work out every day because they feel like if they miss one day, they're going to lose muscle mass. They're going to, you know, they're going to lose about five pounds of muscle if they, just, if they miss two days in a row, or they're going to lose some strength. They're not going to be able to bench press what they're bench pressing at that time. They're going to go down five or ten pounds just because they missed a couple of days or they missed a week of training. Or it's the same thing we talk about with the cake. If you take it away, like, oh, if I don't go three days with that cake, then what are you trying to do? Are you trying to take it away from me? Are you trying to say I can't have it anymore? No, I yeah. can't have that. So they're no different than a drug addict at that point. And yeah, that's yeah. the reason and why a lot of drug do that. addicts people have to have a bump every five or ten minutes because they feel like, oh, well, now that high and that feeling of just being able to escape is going to go away. I don't have to deal with reality, so I've got to stay on this high over and over and over. So yep. it's no different than them, and it's so funny because they'll look. A lot of people in the situation we're talking about as far as training, who may be addicted to food, addicted to prescription medication because it came from their doctor. Obviously, something can't be wrong with that, right? So <laughs> these are the same people that look at drug addicts out there, they will look at someone that's high on, that's addicted to meth, coke, heroin, or whatever, or the alcoholics or chain smokers or whatever. They look at them with judgment, like, how can they be like this? How can they be addicted to something like this? And in the same time, in the so-called where everything is safe and legal, they, they're feeling they're the exact same way. They have the same characteristics. So it's kind of like they're projecting the same guilt over yeah. to these people. Careful what you judge, yeah. You know, and, and that... You know, it's, it's kind of, I call it having your grip a little too tight on it. And here's, here's an interesting story I'll share real quick, and I'll finish my book story. Is I, I, had a, I ran into a guy about a year and a half, two years ago. He's a good friend of mine I grew up with. We trained together and bodybuilded together in our early 20s, late teens, right? And I really hung out with him for a long time. And, you know, we were big in our 20s, right? You know, pretty big guys, you know? And, and this guy, you know, he's pushing 50, you know? And, and he's a few years older than me. And, and he's, you know, he's too... 25, 230, you know, and he's like telling me I'm still benching 390 and still got this and this. And that's great. That's awesome. You know, and I, but he said, he said, Sean, but I've never been able to get that leanness you've got. I always had this weight and I've got this thing. And I said, dude, because your description and your ego and everything is holding on to this size and strength right. too much. I said, just let it go. Soften your grip. Turn away. Don't, you're not going to lose it. It's not going to disappear. You can always get your strength back, but just aim at getting lean. Just aim at lean. Put lean in your vision. I just want to be lean and do what it takes and follow what needs to happen for you to be lean. Make that your guiding post and relax your grip on strength. He came back in my office 10 weeks later, was 192, leanest he's been, lightest he's been in 25 or 30 years, felt great, was off all blood pressure medicines, 
and ended up doing a, uh, a physique competition after that. And it was like a complete change of mindset and perspective. Right. And that's awesome. Yeah. And I think that's another big issue is when we hold on to these, these old stories. You know, I mean, like I, I read somewhere where, you know, how can you like move on to the next chapter of your life? And you still hold on to the last chapter that you read. And so many yeah. people continue like, yeah, when I was in high school or when I was in college, man, I was doing this, I was mentioning this, I was mentioning that. Okay, but dude, and Mike and I talk about this all the time, and I brought this up before. It's like if you're 40 years old telling me about what you mentioned when you were 18, it's time <laughs> to move on, dude. It's time to move on. So here we are. It's, it's 22 years later. You got to move on now. We've had like four, what, four different presidents in that time period. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so guess what? Times have changed since then. You're still in the Clinton era talking about your training, and this is pretty Monica Lewinsky. This dude's talking about. I'm like, dude, <laughs> can you move on now? <laughs> so. It's, it's time to let go of all these old stories and, and because a lot of those stories will hold you back. And it happens in business as well. You have a lot of people who talk about how successful they were when their business started or when they had this one milestone in their business. But it happened maybe five, six years ago. But right. at this point right now, not much is changing with their business, and they're becoming a little discontent with it. So, and they're wondering, like, well, I'm kind of in a funk right now, but I don't understand. But I remember, man, the market was so great back in, like, 2007, and then all of a sudden, 2009, 2008, everything went belly up. And things just haven't been the same since. Well, they're still holding on to that story of how great things were in 2007. Yeah. But it's 2013. Yeah. Hello. Move on. Change, change your, you know, your perspective. Like I posted this the other day. There really aren't any new ideas, just different perspectives. Yep. It's very true. No, it's, very it's, true. It's, so, it's so true. And I think, I think sometimes you do things initially which break you out of your comfort zone and it's exciting and so forth. And then – you get surprised because all of a sudden what was initially really exciting has now become another comfort zone, and it's actually impeding you from taking risks and continuing on that growth phase. And that's, yeah. that's happened to me in my career. That's happened to me in training before where you're just kind of stuck in this rut, and you realize, okay, I need to work on another component. And then in your mind, you're thinking, oh, but if I start focusing on that, I'm going to lose this. And that happens in business, too. It's like, okay, it's time for me to move in this direction. But then you have this fear-based mindset of, well, if I stop doing that, how's that going to affect my income and this and that and so forth? Right. And, and I never like to operate out of fear. So I never want to say, well, I can't get rid of this because I'm not going to have this income coming from that coming in. It's like, no, 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 no. Focus on the things you're excited about. Don't worry about those things. Don't have this fear-based mindset that guides each action. Because that's, yeah. always, that, that's always going to impede your growth. It's like if this is what you're excited with, focus on that. You know, you'll find a way to make that lucrative. Well, and, and that, I, you're bringing up a great one, which is get the excitement, get the passion, get the focus. I mean, the risk versus the, the fear versus the enthusiasm or the passion. And, and the one thing I'll say about the, the, the areas, like you talked about, the areas of kind of a lull or a flat spot – is that there's a fine line between a lull and the path to mastery, as George Leonard would point out, right? Right, right. Which is you gotta, you've got to embrace the plateaus with joy, right? Very true. Right. Okay. So there's the, those, both are true, and that's a fine line. So you've got to know, when am I on a path to mastery, and what is it going to look like? It, you know, people think it's a constant ascent, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, cl- climbing Everest was a, short, a, a, a relatively short ascent up and a long, flat journey, you know? Right. Right. You know, so, you know, we have to look at that aspect. But I think there's a there's a great um, distinction here. If you look at uh, a 20 year old, a 20 year old kid is, you know, 85 percent possibility, 15 percent fear and, and resistance. A 40 year old guy is 15 percent possibility, 85 percent fear and resistance. 
you know, yeah. that's your average person. And so you got to right. look at what have I created that I'm holding on to that I believe is realer than me, and how is that locking me down in this unconscious state of fear avoidance or action avoidance? And the advantage of being that kid is the fact that they have not been they have not been here long enough to take in so many different like files of fear, so many yeah. experiences or other outside influences of fear, and just in, internalize all of that. So by the time you're 40, you've taken in all these other people's mess and made yeah. it your mess. Yeah, yeah, you embodied it, and you also have, you've had successes too, right? So your successes, you're not going to lose those. And well, boy, how would it look if I was really successful, and then I lost my company in bankruptcy? Oh, that would be horrible. But if you were 20 years old, you'd go, what the hell, I just lost it in bankruptcy, I'll start another one. No, I think that's why it's important to continue to take risks because that's a skill set in and of itself, yeah. the ability to handle that mentally and push through it because if you stop, what happens with a lot of people is they have a certain level of success and then they become very risk adverse. And, and what they forget is that it was not being risk adverse, which is what allowed them to achieve that success. But now all of a sudden you have a certain level of success and you're thinking, oh, I don't want to go back to that grunt phase I did many years ago, or I don't want to go back to that risk phase, but that's when things were exciting. Yeah. And that's what, that's what allows you to get into that growth phase. And I'm not just, you know, you can, you can take this line to business or training, you know, whatever it is. If, if, if you're not risking anything, then you can be, you, it's a guarantee that it's going to be monotonous, whatever you're doing, <laughs> yeah. it's going to be boring. Right. Because I think we crave, we get a, a nice dopamine response to risk. <laughs> Like when we, when we like, when we take on a challenge and we're like, okay, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pull this off and you push through anyway, and you do pull it off. I mean, that's a huge high. Yeah. I mean, people, I mean, I'm sure, I don't know if everyone's even experienced that, but most of us have experienced that to some degree, but it's a really exciting feeling when you take on a challenge and in the back of your mind, you're like, I don't know if this is going to work out. And then everything you push in, you put in all the work, maybe it takes several years. Finally, you break through, it does work out. I mean, that's tremendous. You're, you're on a high for a long time with things like that. Yeah, it's one of the things I like is just every day do something that scares the living shit out of you. Yeah, <laughs> and I think yeah. that will help you become more stronger against like any type of, you know, anything that's going to work against you, any type of fear, anything that can hold you back. Just take it on. You've got to acknowledge that fear and then just move forward. No one's saying just go out and be careless and just do dumb stuff. No, the thing is here is like, okay, yeah, that, that, I don't know exactly how that's going to make me feel. I don't know how this is, what result is going to come from this. I don't know if this is even going to work. But you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. And those yeah. I say try anyway. That's the problem. Too many people try to do things. I'm just going to try. Try is like giving yourself a way out. Well, right. you know, I thought about it. I took a step forward, but ah, I came back. It's kind of like sticking your toe in the water. Yeah, I was, you know, I was about to try to go into that cold <laughs> water and swim. But, you know, hey, at least I put my toe in, right? I could, at least I could tell you that the water was cold. So they can have what well, trying does. Trying gives people a story. Exactly. So they can say, hey, man, at least I tried. No, it's just like, hey, at least I failed, and then I got my ass up, and then I tried again. Or at least I failed and realized, you know what, that didn't work out. So I, I did something else. Now, yeah. whenever, whenever things don't work out, there's always a reason why it didn't. Exactly. So when, whenever people say, oh, I tried it, it just didn't work out, that's a cop-out, too, because why don't, you, why don't you figure out the reason why it didn't work out at least? You know, I mean, even if you're going to give up on it, find out why it didn't work out so that you at least know that instead of just copping out saying, well, it wasn't meant to be or exactly. it's just, uh, things didn't line up for me. And it, it, it's kind of funny because whenever we think of Hollywood, we think, oh, it's an extremely difficult world to get in. And no doubt it is. I'm not saying it isn't. That. It's very difficult. And the failure rate is very high. But I would love to see what kind of effort the people that fail are putting in because I bet it's way lower 
than the people who succeed, meaning that yeah. the people who succeed, it wasn't just random luck, although luck's an equation. I bet their work ethic was way higher because there's always a reason for stuff. I lived in Los Angeles for a couple of years, so now you would see people that were working all night, and then they would be going to auditions all day. And yeah, it was right. just a matter of time before something breaks for them because they're, they're putting their nose to the grinder. I mean they, they're willing to do what it takes. They, and some, I think someone like Daniel Jackson said it took him 10, 15 years before he finally broke. Right. And then there's people who go out to L.A. and they'll do one audition in a week, maybe a couple things, maybe something almost happened. And then they run out of money and decide, yeah, I'm going to go back and move in with my parents in Oklahoma because it's just, it's, it just didn't work out. It's yeah. like, well, the reason why it didn't work out is because you half-assed it. And I'm not yeah, saying right. that everyone who works hard is going to succeed no matter what it is, but it sure as hell stacks the deck in your favor. Right, and it's, oh, another thing is it's never too late. Another thing that kind of holds you back, like, right, oh, it's too late right. for me. you got to think about this. It. It's never too late for you. It's just making up your mind. You know, I'm going to get this. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to at least do my best. If it happens, it happens. But one thing about it, I'm going to put forth the effort. It's kind of like uh, what we talked about last week with Sam Sheridan. It's like you keep just throwing crap on the wall, man. I hope something's going to stick. Right, yeah. right. No, well, it, reminds, it reminds me. Uh, let me just take one quick point. It just reminds me of when I did a previous business years ago. And I had no clue what I was doing. This is way before, like right out of college. And I worked my ass off. I mean, I handed out like 10,000 cards a day pitching the product to people. I, mm-hmm. I would do calls all day long. I'm putting signs on telephone poles in the middle of the night. Uh-huh. You know, I'm putting flyers on telephone booths. I'm just going balls out with this whole thing. And it didn't work out. But you know what? I know it didn't work out because the model was flawed, not because of my lack of work. Because I worked harder on that than than anything I've done, you know, including this business I'm in now. And, I, and I've worked hard on my business now, but I work smart too. Well, then I was just working hard. I wasn't working smart, and it was a flawed opportunity. So sometimes yeah. sometimes it's, it's not your fault. You know, then that, that's, I think that's an important point too is that sometimes mm-hmm. you, did, you did put in the hard work, but there was something else that was the problem. Now you need to determine that. In my case, it was like, okay, you know how to work hard, so that's not the issue here. The problem is what you're focusing on. So take this work ethic and put it somewhere else, yeah. and sure enough, you know, it works. Well, and, and how do you, you know, it comes back full circle. Is that like you think about how do you get something done? How do you achieve something? And, right. you know, you think about a goal, a really clearly set, clearly defined goal. Well, you know, we've got books out. You've written books. I've written books. You've got books. You know, you know a book is yeah. a clearly defined goal that you've got to get done. You know it has to be done. Right. And, and you do what it takes to get it done. And, and if, it, if it kills you, then you've probably got a pretty decent book. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, and and people people these days that's one of the things with all the the ebook stuff these days. You know, I mean, there's a lot of lot of descriptions or definitions of a book, and you know, I think that there's something different of putting one in a in a bind, you know, creating it and binding it and making it a book versus something that you just well, I could change it next week and I can change it next week and change it right, next week. Right, it exists right. in a digital domain. It's this fear of failure, and the only failure is just not doing anything. That's yeah. the only thing. So people think like, well, you know, I, I did that, and it didn't work out. I failed. No, you learned. Hopefully you learned. You got an experience now. You didn't Absolutely. get it. That's not a failure. That was an experience. The yeah. failure is the person that's sitting there like, yeah, I wanted to do this, but, man, you know, it, it wouldn't work, so I didn't bother. That's a failure right there. Yeah, because he didn't even make he didn't put forth the effort to even attempt to do it in the first. And, and those are the worst failures. Those are the failures that are going to eat away at your oh, soul. Oh gosh, so be those the are the failures. The yeah, time. those are the failures you're going to have waking up in the middle of the night sweating. You know, I mean, yeah. those, those are the worst failures, man. Because 
because you're just like, man, you know, it's like that whole movie. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. (laughs) (laughs) Those kind of failures will haunt you forever, man. So that's what you should be afraid of, frankly, is that you don't want to be that guy where you're like, I'm 22. I really wanted to do this, but I just, I just did. I just never pulled the trigger. And, And then you're at 40 and then you meet someone who did, but maybe it's a friend of yours or just someone else who was the same age, same circumstance, pulled the trigger, pulled it off. And now you got to sit there and watch that. You know, that yeah, I was just about to say that. Man. I was like, you always got to face the fact. You always think you're going to have that regret in, in the middle of the night. Like, man, what if I'd done that? Or the other option is, I can't believe that asshole took my idea. <laughs> well, no one, yeah, knew yeah. no one knew it was your idea. Shut up. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I tell you, there's a lot of it. I think, you know, I mean, God knows I've, I've screwed enough things up, and God knows I live with enough kind of regret. And I think that, that it's that living in the past, changing your story. You know, as my buddy John Allen Mollenhauer talks about a lot, it's like, you know, create a new story. You just create a new story. I mean, the story, the story that most of us have about where we are or why we're here will keep us exactly where we are and why we're here. Right. Yeah. You know, it's the story. And you can ask somebody, so why is the business struggling and you're, you're doing like shit at home? Well, because of the because of because of because of, okay, change your story. There you go. Change the story. Change everything. You know, I mean, that's it. We are, we are a collection of our stories. We are what we tell ourselves we are all the mm-hmm. freaking time. And how do we change our story? And that's part of the whole process of transformation. You know, it gets me back to the book. You know, I mean, my, my purpose with Strength for Life was really not about just offering people another map, like another how-to. I wanted to offer people a gateway to, to your authoring your own strength and wellness and, 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 and life, you know, to put, put you in a position where you're not following but you're creating, leading, and becoming a, a, a stepping stone to, to conscious fitness, freedom, mindful fitness, whatever you call it, the zen of strength. I want to get people to somewhere where, where I'm not just giving you more to-do lists, but I'm helping alter your beingness. I agree with you, Sean. That's one of the things I try to help with my clients, and even when I just post things, even like on Facebook, I just want people to Think. take a moment to undo yeah. other people's bullshit stories because they're not your own. Stop taking right. on everybody else's mess and, and, and claiming it. It's basically, I tell everybody, quit bootlegging. So that's what yeah. you're doing. You're pretty much copying somebody else's story, and you're trying to reproduce it and make it your own. So you're stealing something that you probably don't even want. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> even, even it, starts, it even starts with our parents. When we're, first, when we're born, we've got a fresh, clean slate to be whatever, whoever we want to be. It just what sucks is what happens right after the womb. From, from the time you get your ass smacked by the doctor, you're going to end up getting your ass smacked for the rest of your life by everybody else trying to, you know, trying to impose their will on you to get some kind of response out of you. So it starts from that smack on the ass from the doctor. And then now your parents are smacking you on the ass. I'm like, you should be a doctor. You should be this. That's not a real job. That's not a real career. How can you disappoint us by trying to be this, that, and the other? You can't make any money by being an artist. Come on. So they're constantly smacking your ass with all their realities. Well, that's because they chose not to do these things, and we end up taking it on because we don't want to disappoint these people. But the biggest disappointment ever is when you disappoint yourself because at the end of the day when those parents pass on, when all this stuff is going, when you're at home by yourself, when you turn off the TV and everything is quiet, and that's when you hear everything. And then you get to really talk to the person that you disappointed the most, which is yourself. So the thing is you don't sit there and wallow in the disappointment. You just realize, you know what? Enough of this. It's, it, at some point, you've got to be sick and tired of being sick and tired. You've got to be like, you know what, screw everybody else. Screw what they think. Screw looking at someone else's website to see how they write their copy, how they do this and other, so it can give you a guide of what to do. You know what? Take a chance. Write your own sales copy the way you yeah. want to. Speak in your own voice. Screw what the industry says. This is how the page should look, or this is how the video should be. This is how DVD should be set up. This is how books should be written. Screw them. Do your own thing and just see what happens. And yeah. if, it, if it doesn't work, do something else. Yep. Just reevaluate and really figure out, like, hey, why didn't, like Mike said earlier, why didn't that work? 
what do I need to change? And, and yeah. man, I see that all the time in this industry. You can go on, I can go on so many different pages and so many blogs, and I swear I see, I just left that blog, but it's a different, person, <laughs> it's a different author. I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> so you got to like find your own voice and quit being a dummy, and literally. Yeah. You know, somebody's got their hands stuck up your ass, and they're moving your mouth, but their voice is coming out. So you gotta, <laughs> one day you got to stop being a freaking dummy. <laughs> yeah, amen. It's, it's good advice and wisdom because that's what's happening, man. That's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking of success, Sean, just to backtrack a little bit, you were you were there with EAS at its inception, and what, what do you think was the reason why EAS was so successful? And for those listeners that are not familiar, EAS is a supplement company. It's still around, but it was it was a very transformative supplement company back in the 1990s. Just the way it was. Just the way you guys marketed stuff, the kind of products you were putting out, it was way different than the standard at the time. So it, it kind of goes to what Sincere said. Is a lot of people come into an industry and they're saying, okay, this is the, oh, way, right. this, this is the way the game is played. Yeah. So we're just going to play by the rules while you guys came in and said, no, 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 no. we're going to come at this thing totally different. We're going we're gonna to reinvent the whole wheel and throw it out. And it worked very well. So what do you, what do you think were all the ingredients that made it so successful? Well, and that's, I think that there's, there's a number of things, and I'll point out some quick ones, but, you know, okay. I've, I've, I've got an article I'm writing that's just kind of the 21 tips for, you know, memories of success kind of thing, you know, really looking at, at the factors. But if you look at, I think that there's an aspect of, of unique voice and differentiation. So you went, you, went to right. the, you went honest when everybody else went obtuse, right? Right, right. You know, so you really approached it. I think that Bill had good training, good people around him, and we all got into a real good style of direct marketing, copywriting. So there was a much more direct relationship, right? Right. And that direct relationship allowed, I mean, strategically, I think business-wise, allows you to do a lot of things differently in that you get feedback from direct mail or direct advertising that you don't get from magazines, right? Yeah, right. So you can adjust and you can, you can, you can enhance your voice and see what's working. And, and so that relationship, there's much more communication and livingness there. Um, but that has to be thrown into the fact that, you know, it was a time in life where there were new things coming out, when there was an evolution, when metrics, we launched metrics originally, that was the first, yeah. Yeah, first right. ever nutrition shake, right? That's yeah. the engineered yeah, food. Yeah, yeah, and then the first packet. And then these are, this is when the, the advent of whey protein, there was no whey proteins. There was, you know, it was egg or whatever. Milk proteins were just starting to come into the world, right? Right, right. Which seems weird. Then, you, can, you know, the Internet never really played a big role in our business, but the Internet was just starting to come up. So there's some yeah. aspect of that. And then you get, you know, which is really you can't ignore the linchpin of creatine. Oh, you sure. Know? Oh, yeah. I mean, we are the launchers of creatine, and creatine turns right. out to be every day that goes by, creatine becomes – significantly the most, most potent, successful, healthy, strong supplement ever discovered by humanity, as the pharmaceutical right. industry is figuring out now and trying to figure out how to take it back. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a new benefit for creatine every, every week. There's something, exactly. there's something, one more thing that's discovered. Now it's good for brain health and so yeah. forth. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, neurodegenerative protection, all these things. So you look yeah. back at, you know, the fact that we could – we could sell a tub of creatine for $65 and now you sell, you know, an entire box car of it's eight bucks, you know, <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> you know, you know, so, you know, the industry you has, a, you can get a 10 year supply of creatine for $15. I know, yeah. I know. <laughs> I know. And it's like, it's like the industry hadn't self annihilated itself yet. Right. right I remember, right, right. I remember saying in 1990 or probably 2000, 2001, I said to Eric Hillman at Europa, right. I said, I said, Eric, you're going to be the last smart one standing because you're kind of like the Goldman Sachs of, of money laundering. Right. You know, you just move, 
You just move the products. You don't care who wins or loses. While the retailer commits, you know, price suicide and the manufacturer commits quality suicide, you'll just move the right. shit back and forth, right? right. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's turned out to be true. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, right now, I mean, to go into a retail space with any product right now, you you got to be putting dog food in so they can sell it at 95% off. Right. And that, that's and, one of the reasons why, like, with, with my product line, I, I don't go through distributors. I want to sell direct yeah. to the customer because that allows me to make a, a nice profit for myself and also not charge several times as much for the customer or, or, or have to go through a distributor where they're like, well, look, this is what we want to sell it at. And you're like, well, look, this is what, it, this is what, it, this is what my cost is. Now, yeah. now you're now you're either making nothing or you're making ten, fifteen cents a bottle, you know, yeah. or something like that, just to have well, your just to have your your bottle on the on the shelf of GNC and Vitamin Shop, or if you sell direct to the customer, you can provide way better customer service. You know, yeah. any, anyone who buys my stuff has a direct line to me. You know, the guy manufacturing. Well, and you got a better out. product. You can't afford to make a great product and take it to retail anymore because yeah, they so they true. don't. They don't go, how great's the product? They go, well, why the hell does it cost more than everything else? Exactly. You know, right. I mean, I put, I put full strength in GNC. is like putting a Ferrari on a shelf with a bunch of Hyundais, you know? <laughs> right. I right. mean, it, it's like when they don't understand why is this, you know, what ultimately comes out to a little more than a dollar more. And it's right. not even more than right. most proteins per serving, but it just looks different. And, right. and you know, it's all next to this absolute crap. I mean, the problem is, like, if you go to distribution model, you, you, you say, okay, look, let's say I'm selling, you know, this isn't my product margin. Let's say I'm selling my product uh, for $100 at retail, and I sell it to my distributor for 50 uh, The minute the distributor gets it, it'll be on 3,000 websites for $48. <laughs> well, how, I mean, that just, you're out of business. Yeah. You know, because they're not actually selling the product. They're just advertising it to get their, to get you to go to their website. So when they right. go to their website, they'll sell you something of theirs. They yeah, don't even carry the product. Absolutely. They don't stock the product. They haven't invested right. in the product. They're just right. throwing you under the bus to try and get some business. Absolutely. Right. They're going, well, your product's hot, so let's use that to get better search yeah. engine optimization. Yeah. Let's get people to come over to our site, and then let's get them to buy something else, which we actually make money off of. Yeah, yeah. And so they, it's a self-sacrificial, it's, it's, you know, collective suicide. And, and, you know, I mean, who loses? Well, guess who loses? The customer loses the customer, all reasonable yes. good products. Right. You when know? you guys are talking about, I see it's not any different with our food supply when we go grocery yep. shopping. You yep. always have this big argument, oh, Definitely. you guys are always talking about organic and all this. I can't afford that. Come to find out, it's funny, my, my 19-year-old son took a little while for it to finally kick in. He was just happened to be at the grocery store because now he actually has to go out and buy his own groceries. Yeah. <laughs> <He's> an adult. <laughs> you know, he comes to tell me, he's like, he's like, Dad, it's so funny how people always bitch and complain about organic food, but... It's only like a dollar two more than the other food. I was like, yeah, but I said, well, it's actually a lot less than that when you factor in all the medication most of these people are taking for this stuff, or yeah. the, all the food they buy in mass because it's so cheap. So you go into someplace like Kroger, which we have here, you know, in, in my part of the U.S., you go someplace like Kroger where you can buy ten items for ten dollars, or we can yeah. just take something where everybody understands Costco, where people everybody goes and shops like the apocalypse is going to happen. It's about five <laughs> o'clock today. You're buying all this madness. You're doing this extreme couponing and all this other stuff. So you buy this overabundance of food that you're not going to be able to eat before it deteriorates. And if it doesn't deteriorate, it's not, it's not food. So yeah, if you're right. buying something that has a long shelf life, that's not a good look. But if you're buying a bunch of stuff that will eventually go bad and spoil, why are you buying so much food? Buy what you need. And that's, yeah. this overconsumption actually spills over to almost everything we do, no matter what. So, again, you end up spending more money on things that you don't need where you could have just spent 
another dollar on organic spinach instead of spending four ninety nine or two ninety nine on three one pound containers of spinach and it's gonna expire three days from now. Yeah. So again, who ends up losing in this? It ends up being the consumer because they fall into this mindset that okay, I can't afford that. It's too expensive. And when you look at it, talk to your farmers. You know, at least I know where my food is coming from if I go to a farmer's market. I get to talk to the dude. I know where it's coming from. I know he's not really cutting anything. I can go out to the farm and see the animals, and I can see how he's treating, how he's raising his food. I can see where he's growing his crops and how he's doing that. You don't get that when you go and buy Del Monte or Dole or something like that. You'll never see those farms. You'll never have access to places like that. And so, therefore, you're kind of just handing your health over to some stranger and hoping for the best, which a lot of times the best is not going to happen eventually. It's just one thing, yeah. like I said, the consumer is the person that ends up really paying the cost in the end. Where I, I think the mistake a lot of people make, too, though, is just this whole that everyone just wants to price shop stuff. And I understand that. You know, you look for it's my highest quality at the best price, okay? Follow that mindset. But that doesn't mean that the best price is the best option. Because a lot of times, with, especially with food, as you're talking about, I mean, that if you're buying a bunch of low-quality food, you're getting a very low amount of nutrition, which mm-hmm. means it's not good value. So, I mean, if you're eating food that costs more, but you're getting a lot more nutrition that's going to nourish you, you could actually eat less of that and have more. You're yeah. actually getting more out of that. But I think people look at it the wrong way. They'll say organic is too expensive or this and that. But there, maybe it is if you go to Whole Foods. But if you do what you're talking about, Sincere, then you can, you can do co-ops with your neighbors. You can do, there's online options. Oh, yeah. There's different options. Depending on where you live in the world, you can actually go to the farm directly, develop a relationship with someone. So, I mean, it's, 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 it's what you're prepared to do. But I think, yeah. the, I think the mistake a lot of people make, and I think this probably happens with you, Sean, with your product, is that people go, oh, wow, why, why is this so much more expensive? All it is is this. This looks yeah. like the same thing right. as, as what my local vitamin shop carries, and except that's way cheaper. So now yeah. you, have, you have to educate the customer on why this is priced this way, the quality measures that you put in. Yeah, well, and I think ultimately I just, I just call people to say, look, it's experiential. It's, it, you, you, your brain can't wrap your, around what it doesn't know as an experience. So if you say this is the best widget you've ever had, your brain will go back to the last best widget you ever had and go, well, it must be a little better than that. It, but it doesn't know, it doesn't know a new right. dimension of experience. It has no idea. You know, if you jumped off uh, the third step in your front of your apartment and then you go to jump out of an airplane, the closest you have to jumping is the fourth step. So you think this airplane must be like the fourth step, you know, and you jump out, you go, wow, that's completely different, you know, so you, you can't, so I just go, you know, I mean, it's one thing to sit there and scream better and better and louder and better and louder than everybody else and be in the same marketing funnel with the same bull crap because everybody, anything you say that you do effectively and you use, whether it's body of science, science references, credibility, everybody, if you're successful with it, all your competitors will copy it anyway. Right. Right. Even one of the things that I remember from Body for Life back in the day, when even I participated in it, one of the things that I noticed that you guys set the standard for that is so commonplace today in the fitness industry, but as I think back, I have to say that you guys were probably the originators of this, and that's the, the, the art of transformations yeah. and really using those transformations as a way of showing the success of your product and showing, not just saying, how good your, your products were because you actually had a direct marketing and having that response and working from that response to actually build a better product. Well, what better response is like, okay, instead of just writing out testimonials, you had, you had these before and after pictures and a big set of them, but you had this 
this process of doing transformation contests, and you have these transformations, and you had all these people who were like, hey, this guy won Body for Life this year, and this lady won Body for Life, and now everybody in their mama has transformation contests, of course. But in my mind, as far as I can think back, I actually feel like you guys were the originators. Would you agree with that? Were you guys like the first that really constructed a really successful transformation-type model for the fitness industry? Yeah, yeah. I think that that was the first great real before and after. I mean, I think there was some inspiration from Cenogenics in the 80s, right? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. You got to throw it where it came from, right? And, you know, not that they did authentic ones. You know, they did kind of more cartoonish ones, but – you know, it doesn't take you long to figure out, like when you look through these pictures, you become really skilled at looking at bullshit transformations and real transformations, right? Right. right. And, and there's a lot of bullshit transformations out there. And I think we all know there's a lot of popular fat loss companies over the years that, that have used um, women that were before pregnancy and then after birth, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Boy. Yeah, there's one of the really funny ones, and I call bullshit on this all the time when you see it online. You'll see an ad for a fat loss supplement, and this really fit supermodel, right? Like a fitness model, right? Right. And then, then you see this really fat picture of her. And then if you look closely, you see the Linnea Negra, right? The black line that comes up from the, for the, up, up to the breasts for the baby. Mm-hmm. So, right, split, right. so a pregnant woman, just after she gives birth, has the Linnea Negra, which is how the baby finds the breasts. Right. crawls up and finds the breast. Well, they don't even think that they don't even know that's there. So they don't block it out. And I'm like, clearly pregnant, pregnant, you know, <laughs> I mean, you forgot to block out the Linnea Negra line idiots. I mean, <laughs> I mean, how, how, how you going out with national advertisement in big magazines and you've got a, just a woman who just gave birth as a testimony to her fat self. Yeah, man. You gotta, you gotta do something about that nine month obesity problem, you know? Yeah, 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 exactly. I got a nine-month obesity problem. I mean, but, you know, so it, it, it truly is something I think we, you know, or Bill really got us a lot of credit for, and we did great with the Body for Life, of his original physique transformation, the Body of Work documentary. The documentary was a huge catalyst and still one of the, one of the I mean, it was really re- original reality TV, right? Yeah, I was going to say, right. that, that, that was really the first reality TV show I think I ever saw was yeah. that one. And yeah. it's especially with, with, with fitness involved. And it seems like that was almost a blueprint for so many things that came after that. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, totally. I mean, it's it really, you know, I mean, it wasn't even an infomercial. It was a reality television show. It, it was very clever, though. And that's why I'm asking you questions about the marketing of EAS. Because I remember when I watched Body for Life, the, the movie barely, I mean, the products are mentioned in the movie, no doubt. But yeah. it's, not, it's not over the top. It's not, it's not done in your face. It's, it's, there, would, there would be like subtle product placement. Like here's a guy drinking a protein shake for breakfast. Yeah. And you know, here's, here's you and Bill at this conference where the company's getting an award. You know, things like that. Yeah. But it, it wasn't over the top at all. And you guys actually produced an entertaining film. So, I mean, it was an entertaining film to watch. So, I mean, I, I was like, this is very clever. Yeah, and it was, yeah. I think it was something, as you said, it predates the Internet. So it wasn't something where you got a digital download. This is something where you sent in a couple of bucks that was donated to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. You got the video. And, yeah. but, but, I mean, it was a, I, I've never seen that marketing approach done before. And one of the other things you guys did is things such as supplement review manuals where you actually praised competition. You yeah. would say, oh, this company makes a good product, and these guys do well with this stuff, and these guys have a great reputation with this. No one did that before that. No one would ever say good things about competitors. It was always our stuff is the best. Everyone else sucks. 
Yeah. So, I mean, those, those two things really stick out the most to me about the marketing strategies that you guys implemented, which I thought were very effective, just brilliant stuff. Well, thanks. And it's, you know, it's transparency. It's early transparency and authenticity, right? Right. right? Exactly. right. Exactly. I mean, right now, right now it's a strategy, right? It's a marketing strategy versus just a way of being. <laughs> no, it's true. It's yeah, that's true. all you exactly. hear about transparency, transparency, transparency. Yeah, and, and I don't want to even diminish. Not I, don't want, I don't want to diminish the underlying cause for that, for them even saying that, especially we go to these big marketing conferences or whatever. So a lot of times they're not even using transparency in its true form. They're, they're, they're hiding behind the transparency itself. Yeah. yeah. No, the problem true. with a lot of marketing information is it, it's like, look, use these strategies and you can sell anything. You can put sand in a capsule and people will buy it. Yep. It's that kind of mentality. It's not about, hey, let's create a great product and then come up with some smart strategies to get it out there. But the first step is let's come up with a great product and then everything else is after the fact. Now right. it's more, who cares about the product? Let's come up with an effective marketing strategy. You know? yeah. That's what's going to work. I mean, that, that's the mindset of a lot of people. I mean, Sincere and I get this all the time. People coming to us saying, oh, I want to get in the industry. You think this will make me money? What about this? You think this will make me money? How about this idea? You think this will make me money? And I go, you're going at it totally the wrong way. <laughs> Doing it wrong, bro. What are, what are you actually excited about? Uh, I don't know. Well, don't get in the industry then. Yeah, just so, go get a job. If you just want to do something to make money, money, just go work for someone. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that'll that'll the make you money. Banker. If, you want to be, if you just want to make money and that's all you care about, go be, a, go be an investment banker. But my attitude is why would you get into the fitness business if you're not passionate about it or any business yeah. for that matter? So get into this business. Be passionate about something. Like when I came – I mean, I've always been really into fitness but uh, since I was 18. But when I came across kettlebells and I started using them for a few months, I was like, wow, this stuff is awesome. I bet there's a lot of other people that would love to learn this. Yeah. And you can, you can do it at home. You know, all the light bulbs started going off in my head. I've been wanting to get into the fitness business for a while. This would be my unique selling point. But the first thing was I was actually excited about it. I didn't pick up a kettlebell and say, oh, this is lame. But I bet there's a lot of suckers out there that would do this. I bet I could convince them. You know? <laughs> it was more, wow, this is awesome. And let me share that enthusiasm and get it out there. And, and, and that's why it worked because otherwise, like you said, it's, I, I think people have uh, – uh, they have fatigue to marketing strategies, meaning that the more over the top it is, the more salesy it is, the more they shut off. Yeah. Right. And yeah. people are looking for genuine enthusiasm. They want to say, oh, you know what? This guy really sounds like he believes in this, or this lady really sounds like she's passionate about this. And they just gravitate towards that. It's an attractive thing. It's an attractive thing to see. Well, and I think, I think that there's still, the unfortunate thing is that there's still such a mass of people that will respond to the dribble, the drubble, the crap, and and the sales crap and the sales hype that right. it, it it falsely suggests to others that the shit works. Right, right. And then the people who are working it the most are also selling this advice to others, you know, right? So they're constantly beating their own drum about how well it works. And right. so it, it it keeps perpetuating new people to come in and pound more shit. Right. right. It's always fun to walk in GNC, man, and, and especially because they don't even know who you are, what you do. Yeah. They just yeah. automatically got their – as soon as they, you walk through the door, their sales switch goes off like, hey, man, um, you look like you work out. You ever tried yeah. blah, 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 blah? It's got this, this, and this. You know, and it's so funny. And they'll give you the most basic thing like, yeah, this one's full of antioxidants. Have you tried this? This is good for your digestive system. And it blah, blah, blah. Like, really? So yeah, yeah. sometimes I just feel like effing with them and just like start asking them all these different questions. And then sometimes it's like, okay, dude, I'm just looking. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, let me know if you need anything, man. And we got this great so and so and so. If you, you know, if you're looking for that, I mean, if you want to get bigger, I'm like, nah, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. 
I like, I like wiping my own behind, man. I want to get my arm so big that I can't reach behind me and, you know, wipe myself. <laughs> yeah, a free, free, a free rear end wiper comes with every box. The, the, the ass wiper. The, uh, um, the, uh, one of the things I'm, I'm I used surprised to, people haven't used that as a marketing technique. Oh, like I'm your arms, especially your arms for, oh, you like bodybuilding? So big from the I think, to wipe your own ass. Yeah, I can see that on a, on a late night infomercial. Are you yeah. having trouble wiping your own ass? Did you make a big mess? Is your wife tired of cleaning up after you? Get the ass wiped. I, I think we just launched the product. I think we did. Yeah. It, it's, I used to have this thing I call, or I used to tell people, I said, I've got to give you the GNC test, which is I'll set, I'll set a perfectly intelligent person outside GNC, tell them four things to walk out with, and if they walk out with two of them, I'll give them $1,000 cash. Oh, wow. <laughs> because you walk in there with something in your head. I mean, if you want to get one product, and they will distort, twist, convince, sale. They'll do anything but allow you to get out what you want. Exactly. And they'll upsell, upsell. Like, well, if you're going to have creatine, man, you need to get this. You need to get glutamine. If you need glutamine, yeah. man, you, know, you, need, you need to get this whey protein right here. And I'm like, dude, I came in here for some B12. I know. Easy, big shifter. I think, I think people find honesty really refreshing, though. I mean, because, I mean, I, I've had people contact me and say, hey, do you think this is a fit for me? And it's something I'll sell. And I'll say, you know what? Honestly, your situation, I really doubt it's going to do that much. Yeah. And they're, they're just blown away by it. They're like, wow, no, your, your honesty is refreshing. And yeah. I, was like, I, I was like, thank you. But at the same time, it's, to me, it's sad. Just, it's, it just seems good. Yeah, it's sad. Exactly. It's sad. But also, to me, it seems like good business to not blatantly lie to people. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. when we say it's sad, it's, like it's sad that it has to come down to the point where someone is actually surprised someone's being yeah. honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, it is. That's true. Shock it's me by lying. Funny. That's what I want. Shock yeah. me by lying to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's funny, man. You guys are funny. So, no, it's definitely true. Now, another thing, Sean, is you, you, you've kind of talked about this whole wussification of America, just getting back on that topic. I mean, what, what are some of the things you think that people need to do? to just get off that pathway. Well, and I'm, I'm a big advocate. I mean, you know, the uh, one thing I, I want to go, you know, in your book, you know, um, live life aggressively, you know, I mean, I love the word aggression. I like the aggressive right. approach, you know, I mean, right. I learned this distinction years ago from, from Ken Wilber, which is in America, he says that, you know, we've confused aggression and hostility. You right. know, the, the origin of the word aggression is to move towards with passion, yeah. right? Exactly. The, exactly. The origin of hostility is to move against. Yeah, and and through this feminist movement and the feminine confusion that we have befuddled ourselves with, we've right. got all distorted between aggressively doing anything and being hostile. Right. So any guy who is after anything with any kind of enthusiasm is seen as a hostile person, even if they're trying to save the world. You know, oh my God, he must be on something. You know, so it's it's this overall. You know, and, and then, you know, the other thing is, you know, as a parent myself, you know, you know, I mean, you, you get this is, uh, you know, I'm I'm a really uh, uh, an active, involved parent. I'm a very nurturing parent. I mean, I've I've rocked my kids for years at night when they were little. I take care of them. But that doesn't you know, there's there's an impact, I think, to this that we expect men to be every bit the feminine that the feminine is. But then we don't want to support their masculinity either. Right, right, you right. Know, so we've got a, we've got a polarity confusion, right? You know, and the lack of polarity starts to distort our ability to have sexual attraction, sexual energy. So we've got this thing. Then you add to that, you add to the, to, to this cultural dynamic of of disowning the true masculine strength and wanting to mute it down, make it bad, disown it, or something else with this chronic 
overbearing sense of we all need to be loving and singing kumbaya at the same time, right? <laughs> right. You know, so we need that. And then you bring to it this environmental contamination, which is destroying men's testosterone. You know, they don't call this Mother Earth for no reason because it's right. a big, giant cesspool of estrogen. You know, <laughs> I mean, where in the world do you accidentally slip into some testosterone? You don't. But the whole world is. <laughs> well, yeah, you can't slip into testosterone. It pretty much just it slips into you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. You know, and so you add that, you know, I mean, I, I was coaching a group of 50 guys between the ages of 35 and 55, and I made them all go get blood tests, and the average testosterone was under 300. Yeah. yeah. That ain't no, good, man. So common. So I have guys in their 20s coming to me saying, I've got low T, do you think your product will help? And I go, look, man, I mean, at your age, you shouldn't have to take anything to have yeah. optimal testosterone. So you need to, let, let's figure out what the underlying cause here, rather than, you know, just throw a product at it. And see what happens, but it's, it's 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 frightening. It's frightening how common that has become, though. I mean, yeah, if you yeah. if you look at the research, I think it was. Did you see a TED talk with Amy Cuddy talked about body language, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I haven't, so she, I haven't seen it, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So she talks about um, research that was done on people doing um, strength warrior poses, right? And right. doing a, holding a warrior pose, you're, they were able to elevate their testosterone by 27% in one minute. Now, it's not a sustained thing, but what I'm saying, what that represents is that if you're not strong of body, not carrying yourself in a masculine, strong way, if you don't act in the world in a way that represents that you have some step in towards it, if you're Ooh. always back on your heels, that's affecting you all the time, every Absolutely. day, right? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm a strong convinced. I'm just just the way you carry yourself, just what, the way you walk into a room. All of that definitely is going to affect the way people treat you as well. Yeah. So I mean, it's a, I think when you when you as, just talking as a guy, if you walk around with confidence, that's going to save you a lot of hassle because yeah. you're not you're not going to get as many people trying to screw you over, as many confrontations, or and I don't just mean physical confrontations. I mean all kinds of stuff because you're you're carrying yourself in a way where it's people people can pick up on that. Like yeah, that, and that, just, that doesn't just mean walking with your chest all out, looking like what? Yeah. what? That's what? Yeah. That shows more weakness than walking in with that, your chest, your chest right right in. Yeah. Yeah. That, That's the sign of estrogen dominance where you yeah, try to exactly. overcompensate because what's been shown is that people always think that, oh, people drink a lot of alcohol and, oh, that guy must have too much testosterone. He got into a fight or he's always a bully. Yeah. I mean, those kind of people always have high estrogen levels because that, their, their behavior is that of one trying to overcompensate. Yes. You know, when, when your testosterone, like I've talked about this on the show before, when your testosterone is optimal and your ratio between testosterone and estrogen is good, you don't, you feel good, man. You, you, you're more compassionate and yes. you're, 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 you're much more forthright. I mean, you're, you're much more blunt and that you're not going to take garbage, but you don't walk around trying to be a bully. You know, I, mean, I don't walk around trying to start fights with people or get into confrontations. If anything, you're way more compassionate to, that people suffering and you, you kind of have this hero complex, you know, you're, yeah. you want, you want to go out there and save things like, Oh, this person's in trouble. Let me help them out. Or this right. lady's having a hard time here. Let me help her out. Or like, Oh, what, what's this dog doing running around the neighborhood without a collar on? Let me find out what's going on here. Then you kind of, you find yourself being more like that. Than, yeah. 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 And I've, I've had depleted testosterone before in the past. So I know what that feels like. And, and it's just not good, man. You're, you're, you don't feel good as a man at all. It's impossible for a guy to feel at his best without optimal testosterone, whatever that number is for you. It's just impossible. There's just no way you're going to feel good. Yeah. No, I mean, it's so true. That, like, here's this guy that's in the bar, you know, oh, he's, got, he's full of testosterone. Well, if he just had a couple of beards, he's even more, he's more full of estrogen now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. First started. Right, right, and, right. and I heard so many guys feel when I tell them, you know, beer is just one big glass of estrogen, right? What? Yeah. What? 
Huh? Yeah. What do? Yeah, let's, 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 let's take a look at this. Beer belly, bitch tits. <laughs> bitch tits. <laughs> <laughs> you know, those, those curvy <laughs> hipster stores. Crying spells. Guys have been closer. Oh, man, I love <laughs> you, man. That's man, look at the signs, brother. Look at the signs. <laughs> the reason why you're hitting, the reason why that girl you're trying to hit on at the bar is not giving you a response because she's not into women. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Your, pheromo- your female pheromones are higher than hers. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like a repellent. <laughs> yeah, you know, and that's, uh, I mean, you, what you're talking about, too, is that faux alpha, right? The faux alpha right, male, right. you know? So in a, we talked about authenticity early and transparency. And so if you're an authentic alpha, if you're really stepping into your strength, that's a groundedness. That's a calm strength. That's a present yeah. strength. That's present, right? Yeah, right. And so that's a part of it. And then we've got our environmental contaminants. I mean, I'm really concerned about the endocrine disruptors, right? The EDs in our world, right? And I know you are too. I know you guys look at this. And you look at, I mean, you know, there's different numbers. I mean, the last one I saw was the 833, you know, really known and well-documented EDs in our world. And so many of those are connected to those soaps, lotions, and shampoos and all these things that we use in our detergents and crap, right? Right, You know, and I, like when I'm out, I do a lot of road riding these days. When I'm out riding my bike, I literally from a half a mile behind can smell a guy's dryer sheets. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm yeah. like, what? I mean, I'm like, I call it the smell of weakness. Yeah, you I mean, because they're so full of the perfumes and all that. Yeah. But we, we have this belief that if it smells really, really good, it has to be good. It's kind of like with yeah. medicine or anything. If right, it tastes right. good, it must be good. And, and even with deodorants, it's just, it's just so hard to really like shop for a deodorant. And when you go into a store and you're like, okay, I'm looking for one without aluminum. They're like, what? They even like baby wipes and things like that. You got to look at it. Like, dude, you're wiping your behind with these chemicals. That's an easy, quick access to your blood system and to your yes. body through the anus. Come on, man. All these nerves <laughs> are right there. So they're right there right. to be damaged. So... <laughs> That's the thing. Treat that like an exit only. You don't want that yeah, to be. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want that being the entrance for for these things that are going to do bad things to you. Well, exactly. Yeah, that, that, I, that's the best line of wisdom I think on the show today, sincere. <laughs> treat that like an exit. You got it. That's an exit only. <laughs> yeah, exit only. Sign arrow. Exit only. That's a good no, one. It, it, it is pretty frightening, though, because with the chemical overload, I mean, you, 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 you do the best you can, and then you try not to freak out about it and worry about it to drive your cortisol and stress hormones up. But at the yeah. same time, it's, it's, I mean, you really got to take care of your water supply. Like, for me, yeah. a water filter is not even enough. I got this. Oh, you got to get a home filtration system. Yeah, I, entire well, got a, we have the entire house. Like, it's worth yeah, the money. That's, that's good, too. But I mean, the problem with a lot of filters is they don't get rid of fluoride, and fluoride can be very toxic. Yeah. And I like the a water distillation unit, distillation unit is one, and I'll, I'll put up a, I'll put up a link of the one I use here. Maybe we can put that in the show notes because some people were asking about different links when we talk about stuff. Yeah, it's just a, it's just called an H2O unit, and it looks like basically it's boiling the water and then it evaporates and comes into another container, and this gets rid of all of the negatives in water. Now some will argue, oh, it gets rid of the minerals and so forth. You're not getting that much in water anyways. Don't worry about that. That's what a multivitamin's for. That's what food is for. <laughs> Don't worry exactly. about that. The key is let's get rid of all the negatives so we have the purest water possible. And, right. and this, this unit, you can taste the difference in the water right away. And the good thing about it is you don't have to buy filters every month. It, it, it looks like a big rice cooker. And mm-hmm. then it has yeah. this fan on the top. where So it's like basically the water is – and then the water is getting rid of the contaminants, and then it's going into another container. Now, when you look at what's left over after each batch, you realize real fast, wow, that, that's what was going in my system previously, like this right. really rusty, metallic, nasty-looking stuff yeah, that's in right. the water. 
So a water filter is good, but if you want to take it one step higher, this is what I like to use when I'm at home. We actually have a system where it filters out, even with the fluoride. That was like the one thing. It took us a while to search for that. It was a pretty penny. A more affordable choice is what you're speaking of, Mike. If somebody's going to go all out, then um, they can look into the system that we have. And it's so nat just to sit there, when you take the filter out from the house to see some of the stuff, and then you have to think back, like, wow, all this was going in my body. Yeah, definitely. You can feel like in the shower. You, to sit there and take a shower and not itch. Right. And right. Know, some people yeah. think this is normal. They think like, yeah. oh, that just means I need that means I need to take a shower. I'm itching. No. Your water is <laughs> hard. It's gross. It's doing right. stuff to your skin. You know, those little red bumps that you're getting after the shower shouldn't be happening. And you can tell the difference just the way the water feels. If you're feeling all rough and coarse on your skin after the fact, I mean it should feel almost like your body should almost feel like you already put lotion on once you get right. out of the and, and when you say things like the people are like, What are you talking about? No. Because water dries your skin. If you were to sit in it for salt water for a long time or chlorinated water for a long time. Yeah. Come on, you're in a shower, hopefully just for like 5, 10, 15 minutes here. You should not feel like a rusty prune by that time. There's yeah, something yeah. going on with your water. So little things like that. So. Yeah. And, and just, just real quick, folks, just, 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 just because we're talking about the product I'm talking about is at h2olabs.com. And there's different options there. It'll range from about maybe 200, 300 bucks for the unit. And again, you don't have to buy any filters or anything like that. So it's, it's, a, it's a one-time cost. And then you have to buy, it comes with this acid cleaner, this acidic type cleaner, where you just we put it in, uh, see, I'm just trying to look at the website right now. Okay, anyway, it's not coming up. You know what, I'll, I'll just save this for people to go take a look at. It's H2L not coming up, Lab. bummer. Yeah, H2Lab.com. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the <laughs> man. company's gone out of, at the time yeah. I mentioned this, the company's gone out of business. <laughs> it was working too well. There was an FDA raid, and this company's been shut down. Exactly. No, but H2O Labs, go take a look at it. I think I'm having a little bit of, I don't want to mess around with stuff and then lose my connection here to the call. Yeah, no, yeah, they're just having it's a surfer error. But, yeah, but, but whatever option you take, whether it's the filtration system like Sincere's talking about, I mean, your, your water, if you don't do something to get the, the highest quality water you can, you're taking in a lot of contaminants. And sometimes people will say, oh, you know, we should just feel lucky we have water. A lot of people all over the world don't even have running water. Yes, that's true, okay? But that doesn't mean that we can't, can't try to step it up a notch either. Mike, guess okay. what? You're not one of those people, so do something about what you yeah, have. Yeah, exactly. But how about you exactly. appreciate what you have and, and make sure that it's the best that it can be? So I, don't I think I hate when people use that excuse. Well, well, you know, there's some people that are in other countries now you eat. They, don't get, they can't even get organic food. They can barely get any food anyway. Okay, do you have money? Yes. Can you go buy food? Yes. Shut up and go buy some good food if you can. Look. Here's the yeah. thing, and Mike and I talk about this all the time. All these people that you talk about in the world that don't have access to all these so-called, quote-unquote, luxuries that we have, they, will, they can't – you're not doing them any good by being sick and dying right. here in, yeah. in a place where you have access and opportunities to these luxuries. By you being healthy, you have the opportunity to actually help these people that you talk about instead of use them as an excuse and a crutch for you being lazy as hell. Yeah, amen, amen. No, no, it's, so true. And it, it, it's, it's a common defense technique where it's going, well, you know, I, I, I would quit my job and pursue my passion, but I, I should just be happy to have a job. Look at all the people all over the world who have, you know, live in countries where it's 50% unemployment, so I'm just going to stay put. It's like, okay, well, it's like what's sincere just did. You being miserable is not helping them out. <laughs> you know, it's not like they're going, oh, yeah, you should stay at that job. Think about me over here. No. <laughs> you're, you're more likely to you, – you, you go pursue your passion, you succeed at that, and then you're more likely to want to start helping other people out. So you're more likely to help those people in need 
if you're actually excited about your own life than yeah. if you're miserable about your own life. You know, nothing, not, you're, not, you're not necessarily going to be the most compassionate person for other beings when you're miserable yourself. It, it starts with yourself, like what you're talking about, Sean. You, yeah. know, you get strong first as an individual. Yeah, like, well, the strength is with you. Yeah. yeah, you need to have compassion yeah. towards yourself first by taking care of yourself, and then you're going to be more inclined to want to help yeah. other people. It's a simple equation. You can't give what you don't what you don't have, man. So yeah. you can't show compassion if you don't show it to yourself. You can't give someone else compassion. You can't help someone else out when you're not helping yourself, because you, well, you don't understand what you're trying to give. So yeah. you don't you don't have that firsthand experience with that. So that, you can't that, teach somebody to be strong if you're a lazy ass coach that doesn't lift. How can you exactly. take, how can you tell someone how can you transform someone's body when your body looks like I don't know a circle. <laughs> I don't understand. So it's just, you got to really, you got to take a look at yourself first and work on that. And guess what? Be the example. So if you're going to be the teacher, I mean, the way you teach is by what you do. It's not by what you say. It's not by the curriculum that you put together. You're, you need to be the lesson. You're the life lesson. And that's yeah, what most, you're, you're most people are looking at example, you yeah. to learn from you. A lot of people could care less what you have to say. Any one of us, I know all three of us have experienced this. When someone asks, what do we do? And we say, when we tell them we're strength coaches or we're trainers, what's the first thing they do? They eyeball you. They look you up and down first before they reply back to you. They kind of give you, they give you a scan really quickly just to see, like, okay. Even if they just saw you before they even asked the question, for some reason they have to reconfirm that again. Even though they saw you, like, you know, they kind of like, oh, yeah, I can see that. Oh, okay, cool. You know, so they have to kind of confirm that by looking at you again because now you say, like, well, this guy says he's a trainer. Let me see one more time. Yeah, okay, I can tell. Yeah, he's a trainer. Like, yeah. dude, you just saw me five minutes before we started the conversation. They want That's to not so true. I mean, we're all busy like that. Like, when we, when we teach seminars, I mean, the second we walk in the room, people are making an assessment right away. Mm-hmm, and exactly. if they don't like what they see, they're going to be like, oh, man, this is going to be a lame seminar. Or, oh, this is going to be a great seminar. It's like the way right. you walk in, not just the way you look, but – your excitement level, your energy, your enthusiasm, you know, all that stuff is going gonna, is gonna to set the tone for the day. Right. So if you walk in and you're out of shape and tired and not remotely enthusiastic, it's not like the group is going to pick up the slack for you. <laughs> you know? right. they're, they're, they're looking to you to lead that. So when you come exactly. in and you look healthy and you're energetic and you're fired up, other people are like, oh, wow, this is going to be a good course. Now I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, that's. Yeah, that I mean, it's just setting the stage. I think that uh, sincere, you were saying the piece about you can't give what you don't have, though. And I was just thinking about that's the whole point of uh, the last chapter of Strength for Life is called Share the Strength, and it's all mm-hmm. about giving back because that's one of the things I think. If you look at the transformation contest that Body for Life was, if you look at the people who I call the, the distinction between people who changed, who got you know, because there's so many people who got fit for 12 weeks, right? Right. You know, and there's people that actually transformed, which they had permanent and lasting change. Right. Largely, the people that transformed learned to do something unique called give it away, teach others. Right. Right. And so when you learn to share the strength, you, get, you, you have a right to it yourself. You sustain it yourself because you live it. You're not just doing it as this kind of proof point. You're no, actually so stepping into yeah, living, so right? I think, I think we all take our own training more so. I mean, I was always the guy who was very enthusiastic about training even before I got into business. But I think now, now, now it's, it's, it's more impactful. You tend to step it up a notch in the sense that you're going, you know, I need to set the tone. So yeah. I'm, I'm not going to slack off this week or I'm not going to just mess around at the gym today or I'm not going to just half-ass it when I do this workout because I, I want to I be honest to my audience. So it's kind of like you're, when, you, when you put yourself out there and you're influencing other people, that helps you stay on track yourself. Because yeah. now, now it's not just about you anymore. Now it's like, you know, I, I want to make sure that 
people have confidence in me and that they're inspired by my action. So I need to make sure that I stay on this track, not just for my own benefit, but for the other people that I'm influencing. Well, ultimately, as the, as the cultural social creatures we are, the things that we do solely for ourselves wear out pretty quickly. Right, right. right. You know, so it's, it's the contribution. It's the stronger you for a stronger us for a stronger USA. I mean, it all begins with you, but it doesn't end with you, right? So it's the reciprocal. So I think on that note, that's kind of a, you know, that's a good wrap for the whole conversation is this, what are you doing and what are you contributing and how are you adding value in this world? I mean, what is your yeah. contribution? What is your, what is your positive, powerful impact and what is your legacy? Yeah, absolutely. Right. No, I love it, Sean. Yeah. Thanks, thanks a lot for coming on the show today, man. We appreciate sure, it. appreciate it, man. It, man. Yeah, no, your, stuff, a- your stuff is great. It's always, it's always great to see your material. I've been following your stuff for a while. It's, we've had some interaction by email and on Facebook, but it's, it's really nice to have a, a good conversation with you. Well, it's great to connect and sincere. You both, both you guys, Mike and Sierra, I've followed and respected your stuff since the day I, I met you and connected. And, and, you know, it's, I think that there's a, you know, unfortunately, I think that those of us doing the holy as best as we can with what we have right now, right thing, who, are, who care about what we give out in the world is, is still a bit of the minority in this industry. Right. You know, and that's why I so try to connect with and stay in positive correlation and relationship with all those who are on that on that side of the fence. So I really look forward to having some seminar time with you. And I want to swing some kettlebells. I can do this stuff. Yeah, man, that would be cool. And, uh, you know, one thing Sincere and I have been just playing around with is as, as we keep doing this podcast and we keep building our audience, I think there's going to be opportunities for us to promote some larger events like Live yeah. Life Presently, Podcast Presents, that kind of thing. Right. And, you know, we'll, we'll definitely be looking for speakers and so forth. And you're definitely a guy that, that's, that'll be on that list. Yeah, you're an inspiring guy. And it's, I, I woke up a little tired today just because I was up late. I'm flying out to New York <laughs> later today. And at first I was like, oh, you know, I, got, I'm always, I always love doing the podcast. But this morning I was a little bit, I was like, all right, you know, let's just get this podcast in so we can finish up the packing and get ready to go. But, you know, after talking to you and Sincere, it's like you're all fired up again. And that, that's what we want. That's what we want our listeners to feel like. Because you may be having one of those days as a listener. Exactly. You may be driving to work on man. I'm just, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I'm just not that excited about stuff. And then you hear a conversation like this, and you're going, you know what? There's other people out there who get it. And these successful guys have been through some hard times, like me. And all of a sudden, you get excited now. You're 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 more inspired and ready to go. So that's what we're trying to do with the show. And it's great having you on. Now, Sean, where, where can people find out more about you? Well, I'm kind of all over the place. <laughs> I, I go, um, you know, I have too many blogs. It's really a disease. Um, but you can find, I do a lot of my stuff right now at My Strength for Life, which is kind of my book site, My Strength for Life. Strength for Life is the book. And um, some guy stole my domain right before I launched it and tried to uh, extort me money. So I just put My Strength for yeah, Life. I, I know that stuff. feeling. Yeah. Right now. I'm yeah. kind of experiencing that right now. So yeah, It's just punks, punks, idiots. It's just idiots. But I have StartStrongMonday.com, which is one of my kind of weekly wisdoms. Uh, mm-hmm. And those are two good blogs to find me. And FullStrength.com is where I sell my, my nutrition products. And, and that's of that's the hub. And I'm on Facebook and I'm on Twitter and stuff like that, you know. So you can find me. Awesome. Sounds great, man. We appreciate it. All right, man. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Sincere. And Mike, hey, great being on with you guys. You guys have a great day, okay? All right. Thanks, you too. Man. You have a great Thanks one. Thank you. And, again, that's our friend Sean Phillips, author of Strength for Life. His website, mystrengthforlife.com. And really, if you just type his name in, actually, you know what? <laughs> if you type his name in, you're not even going to get him. You're going to get some musicians. I typed his name in Google the other day just to get some background info on him. 
and some guys, I don't know if he's a jazz artist or something like that, yeah. <laughs> populate the first five pages. <laughs> so I take that back. You may have to say Sean Phillips, fitness expert. Yeah, or search on him. Yeah, something like that. After all these years of being communicating just via social media, and like I said, kind of been in touch with Sean since like MySpace days. So, and even before that, just everything from the Body for Life product, EAS, it's probably one of the first products I really, really started buying. And use right. it regularly back in the day. And we right. talked about this, I think, like, what was that, episode three when we had Ken on? Yeah, we yeah, talked yeah. about just all the different supplements out there. <laughs> That's why I was just so, so funny you brought up uh, cryogenics up there. I was like, ah. <laughs> that takes me back to that episode again. Man. Oh, cyber, cybergenics? Yeah, cybergenics, that, yeah. That stuff is hilarious. I remember Ken was joking about that. He's like, man, if I could just get a bottle of cybergenics, I'd be all fed. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so funny. I, I've got like a couple of responses. People are like, yeah, man, we enjoy the Ken Blackburn jokes every week. Those are great. <laughs> Like a lot of people are probably going, who is this Kim Black? I know. It's probably working in Ken's favors. Like people start. I know. We're going to to a legend now. Like who is this guy? I was like, oh, this guy's pretty Kim strong. Oh, let me go to his seminar. Oh, let me go to Google and type in. Gotcha. Oh, there he is. <laughs> so you had you had an interesting day yesterday, huh? What happened? Yeah, over man. So um, yeah, we were going to record the show yesterday and had all kind of madness going on. So had the landscapers here working on our backyard and these dingbats. Obviously, they must have hit a rock or something like that. End up cracking like our our back window from top to bottom. I mean, just it looks like a mosaic right now. So of course, no one really wants to take responsibility in the very beginning. But obviously, come on, one of you you're the only guys that are coming in our backyard each week. So it had to be one of those guys. So of course, we call the maintenance guys for our community, and he said, "Well, your warranty doesn't cover that." So of course. You know, you just don't tell my wife that that she's not she's gonna be relentless. I don't I don't even have to step up on that one. She's like, oh hell no. <laughs> but the thing is, she handles things a lot better in these situations than I do because I'm one of those people. We both don't like to take no for an answer. But my thing is, when you're you're trying to bullshit a bullshitter, we have a problem here. Right. <laughs> so she can handle it with more kindness for a while. But after a while, I can tell when people are trying to jerk you around. And then yeah, I kind of like okay, dude, you, you're being a bit of an ass, and you need to take responsibility for this. She's a little, right. She can tend to be a lot more calmer in these situations, you know. So, so she ends up calling um our you know our HOA, and so the HOA was like, okay, what happened? Well, okay, the lawn guys here, the landscapers came and and they were weeding the backyard, and obviously they cracked our window. So, the thing is, this is our third HOA in the two years that we've been here. The first two, they were complete assholes. Trust me, they would have been the same situation if they were in there. But this new HOA, I think they're trying to clean up the mess the last two left, so they don't end up being they won't be viewed as the last two. So they work right. quickly. So the, 10, 15 minutes later, you know, the guy that's over the landscape, he shows up. And he's measuring the window. He's apologizing. He's like, hey, we're going to take care of it. And so anyway, all this matters, all this back and forth has been going on for a couple hours. And then I end up, <laughs> we didn't get to do a call yesterday because of this madness. So I'm telling Mike, like, dude, so, you know, my bad. I had this madness going. I even sent him a picture of the, the freaking window. But anyway, <laughs> it just made me, it just really... It, Mike and I ended up having a conversation just talking about, like, home ownership eventually after this. It's just all the drama because we start talking about HOAs and how most of them usually don't take responsibility for anything. But if you just sit there and you don't, you don't abide by their little bylaws or whatever doing it for that homeowner association, they're quick to try to take your home from you. So, you know, I was telling Mike, I said, yeah, here's, the, here's what's so crappy about home ownership. I mean, we're always sold this bill of goods that having a home is the best investment ever. You know, and guess what? I'm going to go on record and say that's bullshit. That's bullshit. A home is not an investment, people. It is not an investment. 
And I'm going to tell you why. And Michael and I were talking about this yesterday. Here's why. Here's the thing. When you buy a home, okay, let's just say you outright own your home. Well, you don't. That's a lie in itself because guess what? You're forever paying property taxes. And if you have an right. HOA, you're paying HOA fees every year. So what ends up happening, when you, when you sit there and you factor in the property taxes and HOA fees, you're basically – this is money that you have to pay pretty much every month or you have to pay this big lump sum at the end of the year. Well, that's no different than going to an apartment and paying rent or getting a loft and paying rent. But the beauty by having a loft and renting from someone is the fact that you don't have to worry about property taxes. You don't right. have to worry about any kind of maintenance costs or anything like that. It's on the, the property owner. But yeah. when it's yours, this is an ongoing fee that you're going to be paying for the rest of your life as long as you own that home. So you never really own anything. And just to show that you're, you don't own anything outright, if you have an HOA, like I said, they can always threaten to take your home from you when you don't abide by their rules. Right. So it's not your home. How is it something that you own? How can someone threaten? Like, look, if I'm wearing my shoes right now that I pay for, and just for the fact that you don't like the way I lace my shoes up, you're like, well, according to this, because I wrote a law that all Jordans, I'm not wearing Jordans, I'm using this for an example, all Jordans should be, should be laced up this way, and you're not doing it that way, so give me your shoes. Like, right. are you, have you lost your rabid-ass mind? <laughs> I bought these shoes. I'm going to wear them where I want to. So that's how it should be with a home, but it's not like that here in the U.S. for the majority of everyone that owns homes here. And, again, you're paying taxes forever. So that right there is not an investment. If, I'm still, if I have a liability that I have to pay monthly and yearly forever, and not just talking about utilities, that's, that's, that's just a given. But the fact that I have to keep paying for this and I'm also threatened you can take it from me, that doesn't make me a homeowner. That doesn't make that a good investment. That's called bad business. That's a bad business deal. So and what we're finding now is that a lot of really wealthy people, and this is why they're really wealthy people, they pretty much liquidated their homes that they've owned or whatever, and now they've downsized to actually renting or leasing another property. So, therefore, they're cutting a lot of costs, a lot of taxes, even though they're probably already cutting taxes left and right anyway. But now they just cut out another tax bill by giving up this home ownership and just leasing something. And guess what? By them leasing another property, and they, especially if they establish that they have a home-based business, now they've got another big tax write-off. So this, right. is, why these, this right. is why these guys are so smart and these ladies are so smart. Because they look at that, they're not falling into the bullshit that's been sold to us about the American dream and owning a home and this, that, and the other. So, that's, Mike and I were just talking about this. It just had me really thinking about, okay, who really owns a home in the U.S.? Why is this? Who, who sold us this crap that this is an investment? It's not an investment. It's no worse. It's no better than what Mike said yesterday when we were talking on the phone than going out and just buying a car. It's the same type of liability. I mean, it loses value as soon as you step foot in. As soon as you take the keys, it's, you know, it, it's pretty much in most of these markets. It's losing value. Or if you're in where I live, I live in Houston, where, yeah, market value is going up, the housing market is going up, but here's the deal. As even though a house, the value of your house could be going up in certain markets, so are those property taxes, okay? Right. So you're still having this liability. So sometimes it's just better to go ahead and sell that bad boy. I think the people that have the best investment when it comes to home are the people who actually buy a home and can actually, they're, they're in a place where they can actually afford to flip a house. Right, right. Those are the ones who are actually getting the investment aspect out of it. It's kind of what Robert Kiyosaki was telling people in Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So, right. so yeah, I, just, I don't see it as an investment when you're trying to stay in there for the next 15, 30 years or however long you're paying a mortgage. So it's not an Yeah, investment. I think it's more of a luxury item for a lot of people. It's like you own it, so you, you can do what you want with it now. You can remodel stuff. You can, you can do certain landscaping, and it, it's a status for a lot of people as well. Oh, I own, we own our own home. 
things like yeah, that. Exactly. But there's a I'm lot of old. negatives that go with it as well. It's not all positive as you're talking about here. And I, I think the whole idea of property tax is just ridiculous. Why do you have to yeah. pay a tax on something you own? Exactly. <laughs> you, know? you know, if you want to get own it, more... you still got to pay a tax on it. It's like, why do I have yeah. to pay a tax on something I own? That just doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> and the thing, the thing that people don't realize is it's, it's not a safe investment either. It's very volatile, as people in Las Vegas know all too well. I mean, yeah. people who own homes, I mean, one of my next door neighbors bought his house for, I think, $500,000, maybe 10, 12 years ago. Yeah. And I think when he sold it, I think he sold it for $250,000 or something like that, maybe 300 at the most. You know, so this guy lost a lot in that process. So it's, it's, it's not always – people somehow think that if they buy something, it's just going to go up, like in this linear fashion. And it may. You know, if you time it right or you just get lucky, it may. But right. as this housing crisis has shown us – and it's, it's not like the economy is ready to turn around like some people are saying right now. It's like, oh, we're showing signs of this and that. It's like, no, no, no. It took a long no. time for this whole thing to get wrecked. It's going to take a while for this whole thing to really turn around. It's not going to happen anytime soon. And right now in Vegas, what's happening is some of the property value is starting to come back. But the reason why is because there's a lot of foreign investors, in particular a lot of people from China. A lot of Chinese are buying homes in Vegas. So that's causing this kind of artificial increase in property value. But that's another bubble that will burst too. <laughs> you know? Exactly. It's not because, un- it's not because unemployment is going way down. Unemployment's still very high in Las Vegas. Yeah, and when I when I hear that, you know, like when people tell me that, just like you're saying that people from China are investing in homes, well, buying homes out in Vegas, or when I hear that, you know, there are Chinese factories come over, so it's creating jobs. I'm like, people, do you understand? This is not def- this is not necessarily great for our economy. What this is, this is China saying, look, you people owe us a lot of money, and you're broke, and it looks like you're not going to be able to pay us. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to move our stuff over there, and we're going to find some way to get our money back because you owe us a lot of money. And this is how you're going to have to pay us back. That's what it comes down to. So and I always say, like, even during times of elections, you know how they go on CNN and you're showing all the blue states and the red states. <laughs> like, unfortunately, the way it's, well, all the money we owe China, pretty soon every state's going to be a red state. <laughs> well, what's, funny, what's funny about China is, we're, you know, we borrow all this money from China to do what? Buy more stuff from China. Let me borrow some money from you so I can buy some You know what that is? That is a crackhead movie. That's a crackhead yeah. movie. That's like a crackhead that yeah, breaks the car. Kind of, it's kind of, it's it's back that way. It's like, we need to borrow more money from you so we can buy more stuff from you. <laughs> yeah, so that's crackhead. Well, that sounds like a nice racket. I'm going to start lending people money so they can buy more stuff from me on my website. <laughs> and then just charge, just create 30% APR or something. It's like, yeah, sure, I'll leave you 100 bucks because you can go spend it back on my website, and then here's what you're going to have to pay on that. No, it's just, uh, yeah, it's just a racket. And I'm not, I'm not trying to pretend to be some kind of financial expert. You know, this is just uh, – Kind of like, and I, and I know you're not trying to come up like some kind of financial analyst. Yeah, I'm not going to analyze either. You're a real estate agent or something like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you what I'm observing and what I'm experiencing, yeah. and, and, and also telling you from people that I've known what they've experienced and sharing those experiences with you guys. Because guess what? Those experiences, those usually are the truth. Most of the stuff you get from these financial analysts or whatever, a lot of that time, they're trying to sell you something. So you may not always get 100% of the truth from that. So I'm one of those people like, I don't want to reinvent the wheel here. So my thing is if somebody else, I just want to roll a little bit better. So somebody else has gone through this madness, and it's become very common. You know, there's a red flag that goes off my head like, ah, okay. <laughs> it's just, this is not a coincidence or just an accident. You know, so it just makes me reevaluate the situation. And that's why we're talking about this, just give you a different perspective because we're not trying to sell you real estate. 
we're not trying to get you to invest in this, that, and the other. We're just kind of like, hey, dude, this is what I've seen, and this is what I've experienced, and what you do with that information is up to you. So, and, but one thing is, like I said, and again, everything we do on the show a lot of times is our opinion. My opinion is a house being an investment, and let's, and especially in the long term, is bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think what we'll do, this is a very interesting topic. I think we'll look for some experts to come on the show. Yeah, definitely on both sides. Yeah. yeah, I think that would be pretty cool. I think that would be yeah. pretty cool. And then there's definitely plenty out there that we can choose from. So we'll, we'll start hitting up a few people, and we'll, we'll have a topic on that down the road for sure. Definitely. So, yeah, man, I know you've got to pack up and get ready. By the time everyone's listening to the show, you shall be in New York City, right? Yeah, I think I actually would have finished. Actually, it depends on when they listen to it. If we have, if we have the show out on Friday, yes, I'll be teaching yeah. in New York City this Saturday from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. All the information is on my website. Actually, that course is actually sold out, but if you, if you want to get on the waiting list, sometimes I have people cancel last minute, so I may be able to squeeze in one or two more people. But for right now, it's sold out. I like to keep it at 25, and I'm actually a little bit over that right now, 26 or so. Nice. So that course is sold out, and then I'm going to be in London with Dan John and Sabina Scala in October. It's going to be a two-day course. That's going to be a great time. And then I will be in Ireland the following weekend after that, teaching an intermediate course, just a one-day event. And then that's going to wrap up this year. I'm going to wrap up workshops for this year, take a break next year from workshops, and we'll see what I do in 2015. But 2014, I want to focus on some other things. How about yourself? What do you have going on? Um, Yeah, so coming up this weekend, I will not be there in person, but definitely be there in support. It's the International Kettlebell Games. But great. Uh, One thing I want to announce is that after this one, this is the initial one. This is the first one. This is going on in Michigan. You can go to internationalkettlebellgames.com for more information. Um, like I said, this is, this is a competition that's open to anyone that, no matter what your discipline is as far as what you train in kettlebells, whether you're in the GS, whether you're into strong first, whether you're into the RKC style, hard style, or you just train with kettlebells, if you do an aggressive strength style via mic. You know, this is about, this is how meshing all those things together. So, therefore, you can... We can see who is the best in their category, in their age group, you know, whatever weight they're going to use as far as work capacity as well as strength. So not just going for the long endurance type things, also for the short duration as well, mixing and blending those two. So um, that's going down this weekend. You can go to the website for more information on that. But the cool thing is I um, spoke with Garen Clark, who is, <clears throat> who is one of the co-founders of this. And what we're going to do for the next one, we're actually going to have qualifiers, and the qualifiers is going to happen in two places, one in Michigan, um, and then the other one's going to be right here in Houston, and I'll be hosting that qualifier in April. So, and Garen will be hosting this qualifier in uh, May. Both of these will be in 2014, and then we'll have the actual finals, I believe, in June, so right before the CrossFit game. So, and also, with that being said, even if you train in CrossFit, train for CrossFit games, this is another great competition to really – just add on to another modality of training and keep forever giving you goals. So right. that's the cool thing. Always have a goal to kind of keep you honest and keep you on track instead of just being lazy basically and just going to the gym and hoping for the best. It's always good right. to have goals. So that's one of the reasons why I like this. So anyway, that's what's coming up for this weekend. You can go to the site. And you can actually watch the games on the website. Um, that's, that I believe the archive will be up there just in case you listen to the show after um, the 13th of September. And then other than that, next month right here in Houston we have – the IKFF coming to our gym. We're going to be hosting the CKT 1 and 2. That's um, their own certification. For anyone out, for you kettlebell enthusiasts out there, whether you want to be certified or you just want to get more knowledge and really 
hone in your training technique with Kim Blackburn and myself. They'll be going down right here in Houston at our gym. So you can go on my website, newwarriortraining.com, for more information on that or the IKFF's website. And that will actually be the weekend that the UFC will be in Houston, where Cain Velasquez will be going up against JDS, Junior Dos Santos. Yeah, so it's going to be a awesome. big weekend in Houston, man. And we'll, yeah. you know, we're going to have a lot of fun that weekend. So if you can, get out here. Learn more about your kettlebell training technique, joint mobility, and also get ready to watch a good fight. And who knows, you might run into some fighters while you're here in town because those guys are always out. Who knows? Some may stop by our gym and train. You never know. <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 that's going to be a great event, great weekend, good time. And speaking of the UFC, a week after next, we have Bruce Buffer coming on, so that's going to be exciting. That's going to be awesome. And next week, we have your boy Ali coming Ali on. Sadiq, comedian yeah. Ali Sadiq, comedian Ali That's going to be a cool show, too. So we're just going to keep banging out these good shows, man. We're getting on a nice roll here. We're, we're getting some good reviews. I think we're up to about 30 reviews now on iTunes. So uh, we'd love to get to 100. I think that that's the goal we've kind of set for us Let's get 100 reviews. So if you're, if you're enjoying the show or you just want to leave us some feedback, just please go over to iTunes, leave us some feedback for the show. Any guest recommendations you have, feel free to let us know. And also for my supplements, you can continue to use the coupon code LLA to get 10% off my recovery oil, my testosterone booster. My systemic enzyme product will be out in a couple weeks. I was hoping I would have it in stock next week, but there was a little hiccup, nothing major, a little delay. So it won't come out until the end of the month. But I'll probably have the information up in about a week or so and start taking some pre-sales. So I just want to make sure that stuff is actually on the way because for those of you that have ever done a pre-sale, don't do it until you have the product on the way to you. <laughs> right? Right. Because I've done pre-sales in the past where I'm like going, okay, uh, you can buy it now for a discount and estimated shipping date is this. And then all of a sudden, that estimated shipping date ends up being four weeks later than you expected. And people are sitting around wondering when the product is coming. So my attitude about pre-sales is <laughs> until, the, until you have a tracking number that shows that the product is on the way to your fulfillment house or you, whoever's going to take care of shipping, don't, don't take any orders for it. It's going to be a right. bigger headache than you can handle. And, uh, and let's see, what else do I have? That's about it, man. And I know, what about, uh, does, is the code still good for your video this year? Yeah, so for those who go to my website, you can still download the digital version of my DVD with the coupon code LLA, 30% off for that. And um, that's still good to go. And when the coaching program is finished and ready to go and launch, then, of course, there will be an a discount for our podcast listeners on that as well. So stay tuned for that. Awesome. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this week. We shall see everyone next or are you going to hear from us next week? Yep. Take care, everybody. Bye.